All right, so we are here with Captain Lou and Justin Nipper. Um, if you guys could go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, where people can find us. Uh, Captain Lou, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Sure, you might know me on Twitter at uh, my Twitter account, Captain Lou Japan. I write wrestling reviews for happywrestlingland.com and I am a occasional uh, guest on the Kickout and Triple Crown Talking Triple Crown podcasts. Happy to be here to discuss the Muto Dome Show. We are very happy to have you. We're always happy to have you. And we have a first time guest with us and that's going to be one of our favorite podcasters actually. <laughs> that's uh, Justin Nipper. If you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Justin Nipper. I write for Wrestling Observer Online, FOW Online. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember my script in my head. Uh, editor, FightGameMedia.com, uh, Pro Wrestling Noah, International Pro, uh, was it PR or, or whatever they have me doing. I'm a slave for Pro Wrestling Noah's high rage in, in, in the best of ways. Uh, yeah, and I just did a commentary on the Muto final show on Tuesday. Yeah, you did. We Imp will impromptu. <laughs> a bit we impromptu. We will talk about that for sure. Okay. <laughs> we, I'm sure I have lots to have say. Mm. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, so let's just get straight into it. Uh, first and foremost, how did you guys enjoy the show? Who would like to start? Because I'm kind of biased. Even if I didn't <laughs> like the show, I'm going to say, I love the show. But... <laughs> No, but come on. Come on. It was the best show ever. Look. <laughs> it was the best show ever. Oh, look at that. He's, it's so nice. Actually, really beautiful poster of uh, KG this, Moon this is, right now. This is actually a limited edition from Hochi News Sports. It's like a KG Muto like, uh, magazine. On the wow, front is a, is a like a newspaper magazine. I don't know if you can tell yeah. the newsprint. Sorry, this is not oh. very good for podcasts. not visual, but... Uh, <laughs> On the front is Keiji Muto with his, uh, you know, when he had a beautiful thatch of hair on his head uh, yeah. in the late 90s. And on the back is, if you can see, Bye Bye, huh. the Greatest Muda. Oh, got it. I'm get, it's getting blurred out because of my background. No, I can see can it see there. That. That's great. Yeah, we can see. It's really great. We'll have to yeah, the show is awesome. That, I'll, so, send it, I'll, send it, I'll send you pictures later. Excellent. I'm, I'm full agreement with Justin. Really enjoyed it. I think in terms of like... Japanese wrestling super shows or big shows of these last few years. It's really up there in terms of just fun and quality matches and kickstarting a bunch of fun new storylines just felt exciting. And like all of these promotions were working together to move forward into like exciting new territory and uh, yeah, just a really good time. Kind of like a resetting part, right? There's something like, I don't know, refreshing about it. It didn't feel like a New Japan show, which isn't a bad or good thing. It's just like a throwback in a kind of way. You know, it felt like, wow, this is like what it must have been like in the 90s. Right. You know, and it was special for everybody. And a lot of people there seemed to really connect with that. Like, like okay. Heisei is over. Heisei period is finished. <sighs> like a relief, a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. And uh, that gave like a really good aftertaste. I think that was the best part. That's a, a really good way to put it. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was actually uh, Nakajima's tweet 
about the show just before the show. And he said um, that it would be an end, a beginning and a reunion, which sort of became more or less a theme throughout the whole show. Of course, he was, you know, discussing his own match, but um, there was a lot of ends and beginnings and reunions throughout the show. And it, it seemed to really resonate. And that's really interesting that you mentioned like an, a release of sorts, uh, Justin. Yeah. And it's like, um, it felt like um, not just a reset, but also like it was really rewarding if you've been a fan of pro wrestling in Japan. Like it really calls back to so many nice moments if you're a big fan. If you like, you don't have to be a fan of uh, Japanese wrestling at all to watch this show. You can really enjoy it. But on the other hand, if you if you're diehard and you know the stories and you know those little details that a lot of those performers added into their performances it's really dense like uh like a great drama tv series like uh like i don't know walking dead not to say walking dead is great <laughs> but it's very detailed or or game of thrones or yeah. something so you know typical like deep shows not just like an hour and a half movie this was like a 10 hour uh, five hour show you know what i mean it was rewarding if you were a fan really rewarding Alicia, you had a really good like summary of how it was. And that really ties into what Justin said. Do you remember what you said? I do remember what I yeah. said. I said uh, that this was truly, uh, the whole show was a a, a love letter to pro wrestling um, in the very best way. Um, and I would totally agree with Justin in, on a lot of levels. I mean, for me, uh, there are a lot of people on this card that I've been invested in, um, some of them since I became a fan of Japanese pro wrestling. So to see some of the storylines that have been playing out on that card uh, really come to fruition that night and to think about what we might see over the next couple weeks to months uh, throughout the, the this year is, is really special and important. But to Justin's point before, um, it, it does feel like um, a throwback to things that I was never um, a fan for, things that I never got to experience. Um, I didn't even get to experience something like Final Burning as a fan live. Mm -hmm. That was just before I uh, became a fan. And so something like this was uh, a retirement show um, on this level. And to um, experience all of this, it, it, it felt completely new. It felt like something I had never been a part of before and um, therefore was extremely um emotional and memorable and again that like love letter to wrestling on every level because um there was so much here for every generation of wrestler that was on this card and it was just um I don't necessarily know what I even expected going into this but um kind of coming out of it I mean like just the sort of look back and the retrospective on wrestling but also mixed with that look to the future and all that note of like I think hope for what we have in the industry right now. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. You could just really feel that hope. And one thing that Justin mentioned was uh, the feeling of everyone in the arena. And that is because, Justin, you were on commentary <laughs> for this show. That's right. Yeah, you mentioned that in the introduction. But uh, yeah, this was your big Noah commentary debut. And uh, yeah, what was it like being here? It wasn't just your. <laughs> I mean, commentary. Tokyo. Why? Why Tokyo? Tokyo Dome had to be the debut. <laughs> it, it, when it's okay, so they asked me very, very close to the day of the show to join the team, 
And what am I supposed to say? No. So <laughs> you do it. But it was great. It was really cool. Of course, it's a learning experience, too. But it was I've been thinking about it and I haven't rewatched the show. But when I rewatched the clips, I'm more used to sitting and enjoying it and listening to Stu and Mark. Like while I was talking with them was surreal a little bit because I was like, am I listening to this or am I actually here? Because I'm so used to listening to them. So that one part, like finding the rhythm in the show, I didn't feel like I had it until like maybe an hour or two in. So part of it was like trying to find my bearings while also trying to enjoy the show for other people watching. Because I wanted to be just myself, at, more like a fan, and just get excited about it because it's awesome. And I wanted that to come through because it was exciting. And people there were so excited at every age. Like older people who never show emotion were going, Mutau! Mutau! They were losing it. I loved it. And uh, that was something I wanted to try to... Like, how do you... How do you get that across uh, by just speaking, you know, or when people go to the show and they they stomp at the show when they're really excited, especially at Cork, and you could feel it in your body. And that's that's always hard in all sports to, to convey just by talking. So uh, there's pieces of like discovering what works and what doesn't, but also there's a part of me that just wanted to watch and enjoy and, and shut up because <laughs> it was so, it was good. And like watching, I want to watch all Japan Noah again so badly because there's a different, when you're right there, it's exciting. But when you're watching it, you appreciate, I appreciated it more. So yeah, it's still, I'm still processing it all. I'm digesting like all what happened. You know, I had to walk home by myself after the show because I needed to detox from all the people I needed zero people afterwards, you know, so I, I might have a better answer next week, but <laughs> I still, it's like, it's still uh, just trying to like soak everything in. And we were actually, we weren't at ringside. Uh, I didn't know this until I got over here, but actually how it works. Uh, so Abama does the Japanese side production and that channel has such a huge budget. So that's why they had eight commentators that were all like celebrities like Rina Matsuki and Kunio Yamada and Tanahashi, Liger, Tono, and Funky Kaito. And on the other side, it's produced by Wrestle Universe. So the budget's smaller. So they got me. <laughs> Big, there's a, we call it disparity in, uh, in uh, hierarchy. But yeah, no, it was, uh, so that was also different too. We were, we were near where the PA was, like kind of near the first base dugout. A little bit oh wow yeah so if it, oh. if it's like a ringside it was kind of like straight back and then there's the sound booth and then there was us and we had a director doing the, the count like I'm, I'm mimicking like a counting like three two one and <laughs> then they would just stare and that was it and that was another thing too we weren't very we weren't directed Stu is really mm -hmm. in charge of that but like by default not because we had any direction it's just kind of like go ahead that's it. It's really like throwing you into the pool. Yeah. I thought that what you were doing, you talked about 
you know, wanting to come across as a fan on commentary. I thought that was a perfect approach. It's what I like the most about, you know, other approaches to English comm. Um, you asked a really great question. And I was telling you about this right after um, pretty much the broadcast ended, but you asked a really great uh, question during the All Japan and NOAA match um, that I thought was great. And that, you know, it's it's, it's a great bit of kayfabe that, that, you know, can, that people can think about as they're watching the match. And I think it adds to the match um, and helps people kind of sift through some of that story um, and brings in some stuff that's not just about what is happening in the match. And we can talk more about your question when we get to that uh, particular match, but I thought your approach was excellent and you really added a lot to the uh, live broadcast. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Jonathan said the same exact thing. Uh, it was something that's kind of like if you're, if you're right, if you're, if you're a fan and you're not thinking about, you know, we, we talk so much about the the palace intrigue, like what's going on backstage and how people really feel, really, whatever. In terms of the story, if you're just playing along and you watched what happened, and that was a big part of the, if you're a wrestling fan and you're in Japan this weekend, the big show was the All Japan show at Korokuin. Like everybody was talking about it. And Nagato was on the cover of the mag on Weekly Pro this week. So that was... The cool thing about the show is it could, it was connecting with what's going on in New Japan, but it really highlighted everything else that's great about the Japanese mm-hmm. wrestling scene too. It was a cool platform. Like seeing Kento Miyahara in the Tokyo Dome, it's like, oh, he needs to be here. His performance, he he's always consistent. He's always the same. He's always performing like he's in the Tokyo Dome, even when he's in Shinkiba. But when I saw him in the Tokyo Dome, it was kind of like, yeah, he needs to be here. And then what other uh, option did he have at this moment other than, you know, this Noah show? So I thought it was a really good platform for non-New Japan talent to show their stuff, but also have like proper production, like really slick and like a proper introduction to new wrestling fans too. So I really think that pro wrestling love was a theme i think <laughs> yeah. everybody got a nice from from those to the dragon gay tokyo joshi ddt it was like fair and very giving of muto muto did book a lot of this he had a lot to say in the who was on the show more so than any of the other noah shows and you bring up a good point too i just want to mention before we move on to some of the matches um i don't want to lose sight of it as we continue on the production value of noah's shows mm. is starting to become a bit unparalleled i mean this show yeah. looked outstanding the the lights the rigs everything looked fantastic and their video packages for some of this stuff especially going into the main event with muto and uh naito that was fantastic i mean it's, it's one of their best and they've had uh, a streak of several fantastic ones at this point. So just, at, you know, from a production standpoint, Noah just keeps hitting it out of the park. That's really, that's Abema. Abema Production. Thank you so much, Abema. The people there, the staff is huge. They have a great budget. And the people that they've hired, not just uh, video editors, but also visual editors, the, the people really care about their work and the wrestling and they really wanted it to shine and, and there's a lot of love backstage too for the people like working for the company but that's abema yeah they they are awesome uh it's also the same production crew that produces rising the mma company mm-hmm. which is you know the roots uh, kind of go back to pride so it has that old like pride really showy 
really over the top feeling, almost like WrestleMania, but in a, a slicker way, in a very there's a lot of love in that production too. You can't make something like that and like, like be half asked about what you feel. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. you watch something and it's just there's a body behind the the monitor. They're just doing the job. This felt like everybody was so into it and they wanted to be there and wanted to make it great, make it awesome. And that came through. So Abema Production, all the backstage people, awesome, awesome, awesome. They made that and they've been making uh, Noah look so good in the past two years since the oh, yeah. kind of takeover. It has definitely really shown in a lot of the production and it really made a lot of the walkouts like just really special. You could really feel everyone in the Tokyo Dome like this is just it felt as big as it was. And we had so many first timers performing in the Tokyo Dome for the first time. Just I mean, we could go through a list, but really it's really incredible to watch and um yeah let's just sort of get into the matches because i think the opening match was all new people to the tokyo dome and that was masakita mia and daiki inaba versus yoshiki inamura and yasutaki yano and uh, like i said all four of these men brand new to the tokyo dome they were tasked with the job of warming up the crowd introducing them to the show and sort of giving a lot of newcomers what noah's wrestling look like so that's a big task and you know Yano he's still like just a couple years into his career if that so uh yeah what did you think about this match Lou if you want to go ahead and start us off so I'm I'm a big fan of any uh big Japanese wrestling show starting with the basics whether it's a young lion match or like veterans working over a young guy that's what this match was and yeah just Yano getting that kind of chance at this stage of his career was pretty amazing to see. I thought he did great. And all of these guys getting a shot in the dome was just really cool to see. A really nice way to kick off the card here. Yeah, I personally was kind of frustrated um, at first that this match was the first match on the card. Um, given that Inaba and Kitamiya had just been newly crowned tag champions, I thought that having your tag champs in the beginning was sort of, I didn't like it. But um, in the end, as this show progressed, it really worked out because you have this storyline going on, this subplot with Masa Kitamiya um, that unfolds as we go through the show of his relationship with the other two members of Diamond Ring. And um, he sort of, of the less successful one he's in the opening match there you know the main event of the second part of the card um so you have that sort of feeling so i i warmed up to it as it went along um but yeah it's uh it was a good match on its own i thought it did it did its job and uh yeah it was really really cool to watch yano just in the Tokyo Dome, he, he, I've, I've always, he's one of my favorite rookies and he just really shined. Polite young man. Oh, is Yano. he? <laughs> yeah, I could see well, it. I, we met briefly before the show and he gave me the, the rookie, uh, <laughs> deep bow and like, he's a cadet, like, oh, yes, yeah, yeah no. But big, Rachel, big, I, what um, you're saying, oh yeah, I wanted ahead. to say, I think it was, I think putting I know what you mean about like, you know, have the the hot new champions in the first match, but I think it was by design Mm. to because that little uh, interaction between him and Mr. Kento 
was about to happen and they wanted it to be a real surprise for everybody and keeping uh, Kitamiya on like really far, like what four o'clock five o'clock whenever the show started it was a little bit out of people's minds they didn't really expect it and when he came out he got a nice little ooh reaction so <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from but I also do think it was by design just to surprise people and and get Kitamiya out of their minds for a bit so they would put it together themselves that's the, the Takeda booking style, I think. Alicia, what did you think? What do you think on that? Do you agree? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think like it worked perfectly to plan because we got to see the plan in action, right? So it all kind of worked out beautifully. I agree with Justin. It was kind of ingenious to bring him on so early. You've not forget about him and like he, he gave an unforgettable performance. I actually thought this was a great little opener for what it was. It's seven minutes, it's quick, but it was actually pretty, pretty fantastic. I think that um, Masa... And Inaba are really gelling. And I think that Inaba is going to get a little bit stronger every time that we get to see him work uh, with Masa in particular during this run. So that's great. Of course, Yano is one of the best of his generation. I think this generation is, is frankly pretty unstoppable when you look at some of the faces in it right now. Um, and it's awesome. He's a 22-year-old kid who just got to be in the Tokyo Dome. But when you think about the disparity between him and some of his seniors who are much older than him and this is their also first time in the dome that's kind of crazy when you think about that from just the history of uh Japanese wrestling over the last 20 years or so but regardless really good opener the way they used Masa in this for later on was sort of ingenious and I think they sort of did the same thing with Jake too later on when you think about it so some very very smart booking from Noah um at points during this card to be sure a really good point about jake i didn't think about that well we'll definitely talk about that but yeah huh but yeah no there that is an excellent point and uh moving on we have more first timers um very special first timers actually this match was a huge standout at least to me and that was the tjpw tokyo joshi pro wrestling uh offer match as yuka sakazaki miyu yamashita shoko nakajima and riku tatsumi versus mizuki maki ito uh, Mia Watanabe and Yuki Arai and that was just um, really stupendous to watch them you know come out and it was just so much fun I love the palpable camaraderie of everyone in the mm. match everyone was just very um, friendly and familiar with each other um, actually my personal favorite moment was during the walkout uh, you have uh Miyu Yamashita and Yuka and Yuka runs up to her and gives her sort of a hug from behind and these two are like heated rivals who have come up from the very very beginning of the promotion together but here they are sharing this moment in the Tokyo Dome and they have forged TJPW into something incredible and special and beautiful and they're sharing this moment together even though they are rivals and they will hopefully continue to be heated rivals for the rest of their career you know, Yuka still can't help but, you know, come up and give her a hug. And Yamasha has this tight little smile. Uh, and it's, that's what you can feel throughout the whole match is just that camaraderie of what TJPW has come together. And that that was my big takeaway from the match. I really, really liked it. And uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys thought. I know, uh, JMK, you, you shared me some uh, behind the scenes information about yeah. how close the Tokyo Joshi girls are. Yeah, that was like what you just said, Rachel, was that really to pull back the curtain a little bit without really revealing anything. When I was backstage, you know, everybody's running around doing their own thing. But the Tokyo Joshi girls, they are very tight. 
all of them and they didn't seem to move independently backstage they were all moving in this pack of like you know cute bunny rabbits just kind of they were over by the dugout you know warming up or they were backstage giggling or they were eating uh, the catering or whatever but they were all together so like when you said like uh, yuka sakazaki and Yamashita, they had the, the little moment even though they're riles that they had that moment it's because i think there's a lot of it's a very deep moment for them a special moment for them and uh seeing that and like what what I wanted to do is see some of that backstage and how can we translate it in a way to like it's, I don't want to I don't want to be like a uh, actually the the shoot version of blah 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 and not like that but it's just a real emotion like they're real people who love pro wrestling they're really close tight friends and seeing that joy in the ring it's just it's always nice to see people have their moment it's awesome so yeah like you said that those girls are tight and it it's not usual among the guys. It's pretty, they, they got the couple boys, but it's, you know, it's like a macho. Everybody's doing their own thing. It's just a different vibe. Those girls were really like together. We are Voltron or something. <laughs> and, and no, I, it was I, cool. I They're very close. Match. I really could. Yeah. Really, really good. And I, I think um, you, you conveyed that pretty well through commentary too. Um, but yeah, I know um, Alicia and Lou, you're both sort of new-ish. Like you you come into Tokyo Joshi every so often. So what was your uh, takeaways from the match? Whoever wants to go first. So as a part-time Tokyo Joshi uh, enjoyer, it, it was kind of the perfect showcase match for me. Like you, you got to see the colorful visuals. But also it sort of put forward the like really creative and like compelling wrestling that they're all capable of. And uh, as I think some of them are becoming more and more um, present on all elite wrestling or U.S. indie wrestling, I'm thinking like Yamashita and Makito. Um, I think the match made a really strong case for some of the lesser known Tokyo Joshi Pro members like Watanabe stole the, almost stole the show with like her power spots and giant swing uh, which was all really cool and um, yeah just kind of a perfect little showcase for them. I really don't get to see uh, any Tokyo Joshi unless it's on uh, these joint cards. I just don't I don't really watch a lot of Joshi wrestling in general. Uh, I don't have time to watch the three promotions I'm supposed to be watching full time. <laughs> but um, I do like seeing them on these cards. I'm obviously most familiar with um, Yamashita and Sakazaki, but it was this match was really cool. I mean, I'm a tag wrestling person. I think tag wrestling is the superior wrestling. So these matches are sort of designed to pique my interest. And um, I, I mean, I think I told you Rachel when we were watching it live together, like how much I liked this. And I felt that when I watched it um, again, I liked it even more. It's a really, really good match. And there are some really talented people in this match. And there was, there was all kinds of really cool um, people in it. And I thought that the theme that they, that the second team walked out to. So I think that was Yamashita's team. That theme is killer. Really cool theme. Loved it. It was Sakazaki's actually. Sakazaki's theme? Yuka's theme. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Sixth theme. Absolutely loved it. But, um, but yeah, so like I, I never get to see these guys unless they're on cards like this, but I always, they always leave me wishing I had time to get into a fourth promotion right now because these like offer matches are so, so good. So yeah, just 
good vibes. I really enjoyed it. This is, um, I think maybe my favorite of the two, like other, like offer, like matches from the, you know, the different promotions. I think, I think, I don't know. As a whole, as a whole. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's a lot given the other one was DDT. That's, Ooh, those are, that's interesting. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that match too. Um, yeah. One thing I did want to say was that I really liked that this match is, um, more or less a preview match also for Yuka and Mizuki's upcoming Russell or Grand Princess uh, fight later in March. And I thought they did a really good job um, sort of portraying those two's relationship and they're blossoming like they're tag team partners, but they're also rivals. And there was a lot of heat. You could see like murder Yuka come out for a little bit. You got Mizuki's fantastic whirling candy, um, which I know you pointed out in your review, Lou, um, as being just a really cool move. Um, so I thought they did handled a really well telling stories for the future to sort of get people in, like Alicia said, get people into Tokyo Joshi and, and make people think like, yeah, let me add another promotion to my list. So I thought that was stupendous. The Tokyo Joshi match, uh, I, I enjoyed it, but one, I have one, one, not complaint, but Maki Ito, you know, she does the gimmick where she goes, uh, who's the cutest in the world? I thought, because it's Muto's show and she was on the mic, I was kind of like, mm, maybe, 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 maybe don't do that one. tonight. I, oh, that's just more on. like, I know, but you know what I mean? I think, and or to kind of like echo some, some people would think that. Just because it's it's Muto's show, that's one part of it. But it's what she does. It's and it's a different generation and a different style. And one thing that the real positive is that it was a showcase. Like Captain Lou said, it's really hard to get into something else in pro wrestling right now because if you love something, it's going to consume your free time, like. Mm-hmm. If you want, like, having all Japan and Noah is a lot. It's enough. You know what I mean? If you watch them. So, exactly. Yes. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it, I really did like, ha, like, a, get a new taste, new flavor, because not all wrestling is the same. And not every, it's like, imagine if everybody ate the same kind of food. You know, I want to try something different. You know, you don't got to like it, but has a different taste. And um, also, I think it was also like a test to see. I think Noah might be doing more and more uh, women's offers matches. Yeah, we we saw uh, 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 what was it? it was Budokan show, yeah, with uh, Jungle Kiona. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Jungle Kiona, Sumire Natsu, Natsume, and uh, uh, Maya Yuki, and uh, 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 who else? Uh, Saori Amno, that tag match. And they're not Tokyo Joshi Pro. They're kind of like the other side of Joshi wrestling right now. So hopefully this was a nice way, another nice way of introducing more women's wrestling onto a Noah show as like a showcase and really spice up the card. You know, it's good to have a nice eclectic card. This was eclectic is the word for the Muto final match. Lots of good variety. And, uh, also, we're talking about the opening card. I really did like the pace. It really, it was, it pace wasn't was nothing dragged. Yeah, like oh, in the great. first match, first match was like seven minutes, but it was. I think that really shows talent. If you can really have a great match in seven minutes, that means you're 
good wrestler. You know what you're doing. There's no messing around to deliver. And I think everybody had that mentality at the show, all the wrestlers. Like, all right, we don't got much time, but let's show what we got. 100%. Let's do our best. And it came off really well. And that programming with 11 matches, it, it should be snappy like that. It should be. It should move until the end. And, and give Muto and Naito like 30 minutes or whatever. So cool. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> totally agreed with most of what you just said. Maybe not about 30 minutes for the uh, main event, but I will say this <laughs> we'll too. We'll, we'll certainly talk about that. But I wanted to say as well, I think that these showcases uh, for women's wrestling on these cards, I mean, I, I immediately thought about how they just announced another intergender match for All Japan coming up. Um, and part of that is because Suwama and Ishikawa, of course, have their own Joshi, um, what would you call it, Joshi promotion that they're doing, and that's going to be... Uh, Evolution um, Girls? Revolution Evolution Girls. Girls. Evolution Girls coming up. So, yeah, I think that these showcases are going to become maybe more industry standard than at least I was thinking a couple of months ago. So that's going to be, um, I think, pretty interesting as we march forward from the show. Suwama apparently thinks he's... Uh... Ex master expert on Joshi Pro Wrestling now because he trained a couple girls. Really, he uh, he's apparently he's like That's he went to a, well, he went to an ice ribbon show and he's like, women are great wrestlers. I'll train them and make them really. Yeah, that's kind of that's a very Suama thing. He's he's a little bit overconfident sometimes. But um, that that is that's the word going around. He he believes he understands all of Joshi Pro Wrestling now. Lou, do you have any uh, thoughts? Maybe not on that, but uh, no, I want his thoughts on that, Captain Lou. Do you have thoughts specifically on that? I, I would. Uh, I was just gonna say, uh, I, if you go back and watch a lot of the '90s uh, super shows of like FMW or even Michinoku Pro Wrestling, all of these shows they had like the the women's wrestling showcase match. So I think it's a pretty cool trend to because to bring back because we we hadn't seen that in a while, and uh, yeah, it's it's something that works well for variety purposes on these types of cards. Yeah, so that sort of brings us to our next match, which is actually the first match on this card that has a uh, Tokyo Dome alumni in it, and that's uh, Sugiura Goon versus uh, Good Looking Guys. I wish it was longer. I wish that match was long. That was too short for me. But I did like the end with a surprise Jake Lee uh, boot to the face. Who did he pin? Mm. Was it Thatcher? Thatcher. Yeah, Thatcher. Yeah. Thatcher. Yeah. yeah, I really, really liked their exchanges. I like their exchanges mm -hmm. a whole lot. I was just excited to see more tall people in Noah as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that so much. I never thought of Noah heavyweights as being being particularly short or small and I know Alicia sort of feels that same way people say it all the time but we never really feel it but then Jake kind of rolled up and now we're seeing everyone against Jake Lee and it's like hmm, actually <laughs> yeah. maybe they had a point <laughs> because Keno, Keno and Kaito they carry themselves very big like Keno acts like he's seven feet tall so it's mm -hmm. easy to fall into or or someone like Tomohiro Ishii not Noah but very short guy, but he walks like he's seven feet tall. So that's, a, I think, a very pro wrestling strategy. But like you said, nice seeing uh, Jake Lee not towering over people, but kind of having, you know, a peer who is also his height, Timothy Thatcher. Yeah, it was cool. 
This match was interesting because I have like three super specific agendas when it comes to Jake Lee. Um, very shameless ones at that. And <laughs> I really enjoyed Sugira and Jake having a little bit of a dust up in their last tag on a Noah show. I thought that was great. And um, I was expecting going into this match to see a lot more of that. That's kind of where they left you. That's where they thought that's where I thought they were gonna go based off of that. And it ended up not being about Jake and Sugira at all, really, which I think thought was sort of interesting in the end. But you didn't really lack for that, I think, because Thatcher and Jake were so good together. That's what I'd like to see more of, actually. I'm hoping that we can get them um, doing way more work together because that was really cool. To watch them work together was great. Justin, you had some great calls, and so did Mark, actually, about them working together. And it was, I think... Thatcher might have been on his back. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Thatcher was on his back and he was hyperextending Jake's arm. And you guys were talking about that. But uh, it was something about the thumb. But those calls were really good. Oh, and... yeah. With the arm bar. Yeah. If it's like this, no tap. If it's mm-hmm. like this, ow, tap. Yeah. I just can't remember who was on the who was on the ground versus not. But that whole sequence at the end with them together was, I thought, really good. And it made me interested in seeing more of them working together. And I mean, part of the big appeal for this too, it was a really short match, but I mean, if you're someone who cares about Jake, seeing him in the dome um, when a couple of months ago, we didn't even know where he was going to land after um, leaving all Japan. I mean, that was amazing. Watching him walk down with uh, good looking guys was really cool. I want to shout out Anthony Green's like incredible, like NPC, like, like game (laughs) guy character, like, um, language on the on the apron i thought that was really funny during uh that but he's he's a really good guy i'm like really starting to become very endeared uh to anthony green um but yeah just it was it was a cool um little match and again i thought that this was another clever thing from noah where you wouldn't have realized at the time but i think the i think jake ending um you know what where he did with this win obviously set him up for later on in the card so in the end it ended up being kind of a smart bit of booking from them as well yeah, the first thing that really struck me here was the crowd reaction for Kojima, which was probably the biggest pop of the night at this point in time. Just like a superstar reaction. And you, from that point on, you could tell that the good-looking guys were really just excited to be in the Tokyo Dome working in such front of a massive crowd like this. And I got to agree with Justin that match felt a bit short, but the way that they did the Jake Lee finish to me showed the current Noah commitment to really establishing Jake as a threat. He's mm-hmm. been booked really well so far. And I think we're going to see just more of this kind of stuff going into the title match with uh, Kiyomiya. Yeah, I don't uh, want to count my chickens before they hatch, but uh, I couldn't help while uh, Alicia was sort of talking thinking that maybe we weren't getting a whole lot of Sugira and Jake because maybe Sugira will be challenging GHC oh, heavyweight no. champion Jake Lee. But but we don't know. We don't know yet. So, uh, but it, it definitely did tickle my fancy. Uh, Sugira is challenging somebody because all of a sudden he's in incredible shape. So yeah. whether it's Kaito or whether it's Jake Lee, that remains to be seen. But Sugira is challenging somebody. His yeah. tag team partner also just departed apparently. Yeah, I'm very sad about going? that. Uh, I think he's here. going. I know. <laughs> I, I I think he. Uh, I'm so selfish about this, but I want him and Noah forever. I think he's just. There's a better situation for him there. New Japan has so many great stars right now. He had his time. I mean, hey, maybe we'll see him in old Japan. <laughs> um, 
No, I've seen those rumors about him be, maybe being one of the exes in Champion Carnival. I've seen uh, rumors. I wouldn't That's be okay. surprised. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I lie. He's one of my favorites. I'll I'll, I'll follow him anywhere with bread. <laughs> with a baguette. Yeah. Um, it's so uh, funny because Alicia and I would always joke like, and we, and we love Kojima. We really do. We'd always yeah, joke like, go back to New Japan, go home, Kojima. But then you're now- too influenced by Kano. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, that's exactly what he says. I just understand where Keno comes from. But all. now that that's he's all. now that he's leaving, it's like, well, where are you going? Like, no, right, right. <laughs> like, come come back. Like, you have to stay. We're not done with you yet. I miss Taka and Satoshi. There, they'll be back someday. I hope. Mm-hmm. I oh, hope. Yeah. I gotta say that uh, Anthony Green and Jack Morris uh, of uh, he's a kickoff uh, kickoff kickout <laughs> podcast alumni. Um, <laughs> A kickoff. Sorry, called kickoff. Well, kickoff. Um, they were so excited. We're now a soccer podcast, actually. That's why we had Jack on. No, that's maybe that's why I said it. Maybe that's why I had a little um, a soccer connection. A, a yeah. soccer Freudian slip. Uh, excuse me, football, football. Uh, oh. He was so stoked. Anthony Green was so freaking excited before the show. I, I got to talk to him real quick. Um, just seeing their faces change and watching them walk down the ramp, they were just. They were like me, just kind of like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Mm. Wow, there are so many people. And I could feel that from those guys. And uh, actually, Jack apparently is the first ever Scottish wrestler yep. to perform in Tokyo Dome. Mm-hmm. So awesome. You know, Congrats, it's amazing. Jack. He he started with the company kind of the same month I did. Kind mm. of came up out of nowhere. And he is just Oh, he the ladies like him over here. Oh, <laughs> they do. Yeah, they, the, the Japanese announcers always use the term "beautiful" for him. He's beautiful, <laughs> and they they called his match with uh, Jack uh, Jack Morris Timothy Thatcher match "Beauty and the Beast." <laughs> this is driving a few Noah wrestlers crazy. Yeah, What's that? they're. Oh, his that Jack uh, is so beautiful. Jack's look, yeah. Nakajima <laughs> has, can't handle it. He has three <laughs> percent body fat. It's not oh, there. He's beside himself. I mean, it's amazing. Like, there's so many wrestlers in great physical condition in Noah, and then they stand next to Jake. Uh, they stand next to Jack, and suddenly it's like I don't feel like I'm in shape anymore. It's uh, yeah. He's an amazing athlete too. I, I love. He's a guy that can. It seems like he can see something and really pick it up immediately he's a great learner great learner. and i love anthony green's uh his passion you can see kind of helps him improve like he loves it so much and his love helps him improve his skill i think he's his game is getting tighter he's getting more confident i want to see him more and more i know he he's kind of been in flux he's been in nxt and he floated around impact you know sometimes for wrestlers it's not like a steady road you're not you're not stuck in or staying in one place. And I really hope that he can stay in one place and really develop more and more. Seeing him in N1 was really cool last year. So it was nice to see how excited those young guys were to be there. But also it was great to see somebody like Koji come back home to Tokyo Dome and get that reception. So you got a nice little mix of all of that in a pretty short match. And I'll say this about Anthony Green. I mean, Jake didn't get the Sugira interaction, but Anthony Green did, and he did really well with Sugira. Like, that was a really good exchange between them. 
Anthony Green has also been like working really hard on his Japanese. He posts videos now of himself speaking Japanese, super endearing. So they're just a bunch of really good guys, right? Good looking guys. They are. They're just, they're, they're really like, they're, they're sweet guys. Jake's idea, by the way, I found out that was Jake's. Uh, yes, he's it a was genius. Jake. Uh, well, genius. that's also something I'm finding out about Noah's. It's not as much like, you know, WWE, for example, there's like a creative plan and they're following the script and that's just a different style. Whereas uh, I think there's more freedom for Noah wrestlers if they have an idea and if everybody's okay with it, then that's kind of how it goes. So, yes, but we did confirm with Jake. Jake, he coined the term good looking guys. So maybe Amazing. he was influenced by BTS <laughs> or something. <laughs> To be honest, he might have been. Hey, I mean, he's a handsome lad. The ladies love him too. Last year, or maybe it was maybe two years ago, it was when he was still wearing his uh, melon green. Uh, he was in some like uh, like popular kind of like, like ladies magazine. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, like a not a naughty magazine, like a chat, like like oh, we're gonna talk to this handsome, cool athlete today. Yeah, he was in it. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he has his own following as does jack and anthony so uh good luck to the good looking guys gl to glg <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> that's good almost up there with our uh gl ghc campaign but uh that's pretty good nice yeah uh, we'll, lou is we'll also a genius yes yeah lou lou helped that one out <laughs> mm. uh, it looks good on a t-shirt too glg right yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. GLG. Yeah. yeah. That font on the shirt is awesome. Yeah, right. And it's I think it'll turn into something like uh Great Bash Heel, like GBH. Yeah. You know, we we don't really know what it means, but we just say GBH. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because doesn't so. GBH also stand for grievous bodily harm? Like yeah. wasn't that a part of the original plan for GBH? Yeah. <laughs> uh, isn't isn't that also a uh like a like a drug? Or that's GHB. Maybe. It's, it's something know. else. That is something else. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, yeah. I was going to say. Oh, boy. That's very dangerous. Okay, <laughs> moving on, moving yeah. on. Let's go on to the next one. Okay. Well, we're on to, uh, I guess, the second part of the card. We we got these nice little breaks, um, which was great because the commentators got to sort of talk and... Uh, and go to, to the bathroom. And go to the bathroom. <laughs> it was. It was nice to have those breaks. Of course, uh, Alicia and I were watching at like four in the morning. So for us, that's we right. were a little impatient. But uh, that's if, factored if in. Like, yeah, that's factored in. Uh, I the, they, they split it up right like to primary stage and uh, what was like a master main stage, stage. main was, stage, yeah. master stage. And uh, that that factors in uh, wrestling universe and Obama people know that a lot of people are watching around the world, too. And when it comes to the pay-per-view, they'll probably watch on demand, but if they want to watch live, it's going to be at a strange time. So having those three breaks was really uh, easy to digest the show. It was easier to call. It was easier. I think it was easier for everyone to just uh, breathe. Sometimes they're like a wrestle kingdom can be, it's great, but it's just, it's relentless. It's just, or WrestleMania or anything. It's just, it's a lot of wrestling. Sometimes you got to breathe. Sometimes people want to go to the bathroom or buy merchandise or have a snack. That really helped the show feel like um, like it was moving along and didn't feel boring. It kept the attention. I thought it was really interesting programming. So, 
Yeah, I thought so too. Lou, did you actually watch the show live? Not live. No, no, no. Okay. I got it a few days later, actually. Okay. So Lou, so, did you did you know about the, the results or did you go in like uh, no spoilers? I actually knew the results. I couldn't mm. ho hold back uh, for several days. I was too excited about it. So yeah, I, I knew all of it. <laughs> I, I know some people know. will just like throw, they'll like disconnect their internet because they <laughs> yeah, want to yeah, watch yeah. the... So I, I'm interested to hear everybody's approach because yeah, like I, I wonder what it would be like knowing what happened and going into it or being surprised i think both are really nice experiences it just kind of depends on the fan taste you know and schedule life schedule you know right right yeah but no it is it's interesting you do get different um perspectives that way so it is actually really cool that you uh you did watch a little bit later because you have a little bit of a of a different mindset different perspective than alicia and i who were uh Fighting our nails at, at what, like four or five in the morning. So it's more stressful probably... when you're watching live. Uh, but yeah, that brings us to the first match of the main stage. So that would be the uh, the second part of the show. And that is the N Innovation, our uh, Noah Jr. showcase, as it were. Uh, Yoshinari Ogawa, Eita Hayata, Chris Ridgway, and Daga versus Atsushikitoge, Yohei, Seiki Yoshioka, Alejandro, and Junta Miyawaki. So a huge match, lots and lots of people in this match. Um, and the, uh, like I said, it was billed under their special brand and innovation. Uh, and that had our very, very popular NOAA regulars, uh, NOAA junior regulars. They're a big, you know, popular group. And then the constant ever-changing drama of another very popular group in the Noah Jr. sphere, and that would be Stinger. Um, and there was uh, a lot to navigate uh, there in that match. And I thought, uh, Justin, you did a really good job sort of uh, navigating it and, and calling into question, like, what exactly is going in on that match? It was messy, wasn't it? There were so <laughs> many little threads, loose threads. But uh, actually, the genius part of this match, and I didn't realize it until after, was that Yoshinari Ogawa didn't even tag in. <laughs> right. Well, not once. He didn't wrestle, and it made it feel like he was this real mastermind of Stinger, and he he's just laying back. But really, all he did was come out in sunglasses, and that's it. And kudos to him. Genius, you know? But also, it was... I like that this had story, but I also had a little bit of showcase. I love Daga. I think Daga's great. And I really want to see him more in like singles matches in uh, in Noah. Um, happy that Ridgeway got the submission victory. I thought that made him look really strong. Um, it, I know I know some people were turned off because there's just so much going on. And if you weren't following, you might like, I don't know. It's, it, I know why people could jump in or jump out, but I thought this had a lot to offer. And I, I, the good thing about this match is like, you might not like the match, but there's definitely going to be like a few people you like in it. Cause there were so many, there's so much going on. So, but I'm interested to hear what you guys thought of it. So well, I'm definitely, <laughs> oh yeah, go ahead. Cause I'm not a huge Noah Jr.'s fan, um, admittedly, and Stinger can be a little much for me. So Lou, why don't you go ahead and take the stage here? Actually, I, I kind of felt similar to Rachel here as in, I was glad they kept it short because I'm not a massive fan of all the Stinger inter-drama 
storylines. Uh, but I also agree with Justin that Chris Ridgway and Daga came off pretty well here. And both of these guys actually have been putting in really good performances in all the Noah shows prior to this Dome show. Uh, and regardless of all the Stinger drama, I'm excited to see more of these two guys in the junior division. Sorry, I'm moisturizing, by the way. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, on camera, I, I didn't want to freak uh, everybody out, but I'm rubbing my face, and I didn't. I wanted to let them know that I'm not just losing my mind. I don't hate Stinger or anything. I'm not like, <laughs> Stinger, Stinger. No, sorry, I, I, had a, I have a dry part on my, on my face. Excuse me, podcasters, this is not great radio or podcasting. It's well, we can edit, we can edit. <laughs> no, don't edit, don't edit, that's good. It's natural. You got it. You got it. Uh, <laughs> All right. Didn't you mention that you were a fan of Daga or uh, did I miss here? I loved, yeah. I, I, I've been really impressed by uh, what he's had like maybe three matches, like a couple. He, he appeared a couple of times and he's been really impressive. And I, I think, like you're saying, like the junior division, it's not a New Japan junior division. Like the, the New Japan junior division, Liger's division, it's really. It's been a pet project for decades, and they really got it down. And I think there's just a different style. It's kind of it's Ogawa books it, so it has its own flavor. But it's it's just not the priority on a lot of the Noah shows. But somebody like Daga, I'd love to see more and more of. He has a great he has a great style. When I see his style, I don't necessarily think. I mean, of course, he's a luchador and has a. Mexican style, but I think he's even more influenced by Japanese pro wrestling. Mm. And uh, I want to see more of what he can do. And maybe he can spice up this uh, junior division. He reminds me of, like when uh, Juventud Guerrero was in Noah a long time ago, like those matches mm. with Marfuji. I think he he's that kind of wrestler. He has a that luchador style with a bit of an edge and he can go pretty hard too. So mm. I want him to come back. And he seems like it's Eita, that, that naughty Eita, Ogawa and Daga are together. I don't know if that's Stinger or what. And so, so what, you know, we had those and Hayata and Ridgeway kind of went that way. And that was one team. And there was the other team. Alejandro was just saying, please don't rip my mask off again. And Junta Miyawaki was getting ready to go to Mexico the next day. He actually, he's in Mexico now. Um, yeah, it was, hey, it was a cool way to get 10 people on the show. I believe the total was like 58 wrestlers were on the show. Wow. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but, Alicia, do yeah. you have any takeaway on this match? Um, yeah, I do want to highlight Daga and just in general, the strategy that Noah has had in bringing Luchadors on. I mean, those are the guy conclusion that I want to see in Noah. Um, I think that's a great pipeline that excites me about them bringing in um, any foreigners. I, I want them to continue to bring in, Luchadors Daga is really talented. Um, if you are someone that watched Lucha Underground, um, or if you've right. never watched him in Lucha Underground, go back and watch those. Um, if you were someone that, like me, watched a lot of The Crash back in the day, go back and watch The Crash. He was great in The Crash. Daga's super talented, so I want to see more of him in um, Noah, and I thought that he was great here, as everyone has kind of said. He was one of the standouts. Um, Ridgeway was also really good in this. He's just very good he's a very good professional wrestler. And that's like a compliment that I've given to um, people here and there on talking triple crown. And I mean something very specific in that way, but he's just a very, he's very good at working with people. And you could see him working with Junta 
in this match. And um, yeah, he's just, he's just very talented, but in general, like the stinger stuff is not for me. They run this angle every couple of weeks. It almost feels like with just a different mix of stinger folk. So some people really love this stuff. It doesn't really work for me, but there are people in the match, like Justin was saying, that, you know, you can kind of take little bits and pieces here from, and it's still, you know, entertaining to watch. I was really happy to see Seiki Yoshioka back so soon from his injury as well. Um, he's a deeply talented guy, and I was disappointed to hear that he had gotten hurt, but I was really happy that he came back so soon. Um, and frankly, I, you know, I saw a lot of, like, discourse on at least my Twitter timeline about Junta and this debate on whether or not Noah has mishandled uh, his, I guess, you know, coming, you know, from Mexico back into Noah, then going back into Mexico. I don't think they've mishandled anything. I think that Junta's really young. <laughs> he needs some time he to like 22? develop. Yeah, he's super, super young. I, I don't, um, I know that when he came back and he challenged uh, Makusa, people like had this idea that he was going to go over and just become the new junior ace just because he spent like a couple of months in Mexico. That wasn't my experience of Junta <laughs> then, now, or ever. I think that Junta's really young and he still needs to develop as a wrestler and also as a character. He still has some pieces missing. Um, and that's okay. He's super young. And they are, they're clearly willing to take the time to send him back to Mexico to keep training. I think that's good. So I saw no problems with that. But I, but I have continued to see chatter about Noah's mishandling of Junta. And that's one of the pieces on this card that I didn't quite understand. I don't know if it's mishandling. I think a lot of people are just so used to the New Japan system that they think if it deviates from the New Japan format that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But it's a different company and a different dojo. And they're located, they're not in Tokyo, they're in Saitama. It's just, you know, it's like a different team has a different way of doing things. Jutsu Miyawaki is like a baby still. I mean, and it's cool because Yano is a guy who can hold it down in Japan. I think Miyawaki is somebody who needs to grow more and find who he is. And, uh, I, you know, from one year to when he came back, he looked like a different person. And that match he had with Amakusa was really good. Uh, was it Budokan? The, uh, yeah. the Shinsuke yeah, show? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was a really good match. I, <laughs> I mean, people can say the mishandling. It's been one match, two matches. So he's 22 or whatever. You know, he's a young boy. And uh, if he's in Mexico, you know, let him learn. Let him, you know, I think we said on the broadcast, his second match in Mexico was a cage match. Talk about getting thrown into the deep end. So sure. he'll be fine. He'll be just fine. I'm not worried I at all. I think people forget how long it takes some wrestlers to really find themselves, find their footing as workers, find their footing as characters. I mean, I think there's this idea that someone like Goshiyazaki was ready um, right when they needed him to be ready. And that's not true. It took Shio a long time to be the wrestler that he is today. It took him a long, long time. Um, so I think there's that, that sense a little bit here too with Junta. Uh, it's okay that he's not ready right now. It doesn't mean that he's not ever going to be ready. Some people just need more time. Yeah, fans must be patient. So I, I swear, I think patience is, it really pays off if you're a Japanese wrestling fan to be patient because there will be a payoff. Just We're going to talk about wait. that quite a bit throughout the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, We're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, long-term storytelling, as it were. Um, but yeah, no, I could not agree more. And uh, yeah, I thought that was perfectly said with uh, Yano holding it down in Japan and and Miyawaki growing overseas. I think uh, between the two of them, 
we could get a really good thing going in the Noah Juniors, the future of the Noah Juniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of the future, uh, this was a huge theme for our next match, and that is the DDT offer match. We had Sana Kamina, Yuki Ueno, uh, Toy Kojima, Shuma Katsumata, and Mao versus Endo Tetsuya, Hideki Okutani, and Yuya Kuroku, and Takeshi Masada. And uh, yeah, that whole thing, it was billed as the dramatic dream future match. So it was all about the future of wrestling and the future of DDT. You have a lot of really young new participants, which um, Lou, you mentioned was actually a bit of a a surprise. It was something that um, almost a bit of a gamble. So I was interested when you said that in your review. Yeah, because I mean, they could, this sort of like the Tokyo Joshi match, DDT could have gone and put in all of their big stars in one match. And they took a different approach and went with all of the young upstarts. A lot of guys that are in their D Generations Cup right now. And if you're watching this, the it's amazing how advanced these guys are at this stage of their careers right now. And that match showcased exactly that. And you had them working with uh, Sauna Club uh, in the Tokyo Dome in the most natural way possible. I thought they were all super impressive. Um, I had Endo's sort of corkscrew Sasuke special as a highlight here. Just a really amazing Tokyo Dome dive. Uh, I really enjoyed all of this. Yeah, Endo looked amazing up there. Like he really shined. I know, Alicia, you had mentioned that, that he really looked like an ace. Yeah, I think that's something that I believe is missing from a lot of the commentary on this card and moving away from it is that there were so many opportunities for the middle gen and the younger gen across the companies to really shine. And I thought that there was no better representation of that than Endo walking down the ramp in the Tokyo Dome, another, I believe, first timer to the Tokyo Dome, walking down the ramp to his own music as a young ace of DDT, but also the true heir of uh, Kobashi and Akiyama's burning. I mean, I thought that was tremendous. Again, you have that mix of the old, but also the new, right? Um, I thought that was wonderful. It was beautifully illustrated um, in that walkout. I thought it was tremendous. And um, Endo was, I think, every bit um, the star in this match. Um, That shooting star attempt was shooting star press rather attempt was really really great but also ueno was was killer in this like there was just so many just great great guys from ddt in this and i don't love bringing up to Kesha where he doesn't need to be brought up but this was a match where you know Takeshita's not here he's overseas doing whatever um in service of aew and that's great and that's fine but this should show you that like they don't need to have Takeshita around to have these types of matches, which is awesome. This is very much what you can expect of DDT without having, you know, their primary young ace, so to speak, um, around in the dome. And I think that's awesome. I thought it really said a lot about DDT. Um, and you got to see guys like um, like Toy Kojima, who is such a talent. We're talking a lot about that younger gen of guys. Um, I think that he is, is truly an up and coming talent. I think maybe he gets overlooked sometimes because of where he's 
kind of at in DDT. Um, but he is such an incredible performer who only really gets better. And he's starting to change his look and like really find his character um, the more that uh, that he continues on. And you got to see some of that in this. And so I was just really impressed. But I think that this match is really where you could start to see how many opportunities there were for uh, the middle and younger gen on this card to really shine. And I thought that was really one of the more important things to take away from the show as a whole. Absolutely. I thought, um, I thought all of them really, really showed up during the match. I really, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention Mao, uh, one of my favorite wrestlers, but uh, I thought he brought a certain amount of levity to this match. This match was uh, very low on shenanigans and very hard hitting and, and fast paced. I thought that was great. But um, I thought the reaction to Mao's sucker punch uh, from the crowd was really, really fun. Um, a lot of like, ooh, and, and also a lot of laughter. And uh, so I, I thought he brought some excited and exaggerated fighting style um, that sort of was was very DDT flavored uh, for this match. Justin, what was your uh, sort of takeaway on this dramatic dream future? Mm, I might be. I think I'm in the minority here. It's like Lou said, it's kind of a gamble to put this on. And for me personally, I don't want to ruin the party. I don't want to be that guy that's oh. Too many high spots, but <laughs> for me, okay, I love Mao. I really like, I like Yuki Ueno and I know he'll probably be the next Takeshita if he comes to America. I, I think he's coming next month or something. Uh, mm, yeah. Like they, uh, Endo is a star and if he was on AEW, he'd become a star. Uh, but just the style for me is a little bit too pinball. Uh, it's not to say that it's not exciting. It was exciting to call because I didn't have to think that much because there wasn't as much story. It was just like bang, 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 bang. And having that on a show uh, like like the Muto final, people are going to like it. Uh, you see, like I'm in the minority. It's OK if I don't like one match. And then, and saying not like that's really the, the standard is really high. So it's like when I say not like that's still it's fine. Like it was good. Not my cup of tea. I'm just an old, like, I'm not fun. You know, I don't like the fun. I don't like, I'm not fun. And I know, but I don't want to also ruin somebody's time either. Because I know people really do like it. And these DDT, some of these uh, wrestlers, they really get behind uh, some of these young DDT wrestlers. So I, I understand why, and I'm happy for them, that they got a really cool chance to show what they got. A DDT, they need to show off. Uh, they're new guys because Takeshita's he's in a different level now he's on a different stage so uh, I think Higuchi is also uh, getting to a different stage as well but for me not my cup of tea but it was fun to watch it was fun to call but I don't know DDT it just doesn't uh, it doesn't get me it doesn't tickle me like uh, All Japan and Noah did you know mm-hmm I mean, that's the but great that's thing about me. this card. Yeah, that's the great thing about this card is that like everybody says things like something for everyone approach, right? But this is one of those rare cards that I feel genuinely has something for everyone. Like I really mm. genuinely believe that. And I, I rarely say that's actually the case, um, but I, I definitely felt that here. So yeah, I, I totally I, get it. I do. I, well, I think, you know, even though DDT and Tokyo Joshi and Noah, they're all under the same, you know, the paychecks are coming from the same place. The way that the brands and divisions are set up, 
there really isn't any interaction between like DDT and Noah locker rooms or offices. I like they have uh I know that there's a guy named Ash, I believe that kind of does what I do at Noah. Yeah. So it's kind of it's like uh it's different. I know it's under the same umbrella, but it, it's a different company and they're doing different things and they run it a certain way there's like an independence among these companies so when you put them on the show you get that feeling like it's different like some you know sometimes when you get like a like aew roh i think it struggles to be like roh is struggling not to be like aew production yeah it's neither here nor there and it's not a big deal but on this show it did feel like oh this is different this is special like it or not i want to check it out because i want to see what's up Maybe it's cool. Maybe, it, you know, it's an offer. It's That's exactly what an offer match should be. It should be a little bit different from the rest and offer something that the rest of the cards wrestlers aren't offering. Even if I don't like it, it's okay. That's actually yeah, very good. Yeah, it spices that's... things up. I, you know, that's kind of boring too. I don't, you know, that's and selfish, you know, <laughs> but I want my wrestling and I want only my kind <laughs> of wrestling on the show. And I don't care if anybody's upset because it's my wrestling. That's how that's, that's my impression of Twitter wrestling fans. <laughs> Very yeah, accurate. Thank wrong. you. Thank you. I've been working on it. There were matches that didn't entirely appeal to me either. And that mm. um, segs kind of nicely into our next match. Oh, um, yeah. No, I, I actually did not mind this match. This match is um, actually Mara Fuji's return to the dome. And that is uh, an... Noah versus Dragon Gate match. Uh, Shun Skywalker, Kai, and Diamante versus Naomi Fuji, uh, El Hijo, de Dr. Wagner Jr., um, and Ninja Mac. And like I said, this match was fine. It was it was fun. It, it didn't do a ton for me. Um, I I was I'm going to be honest. I was sort of waiting for the next match, and that's uh, was the Noah versus AJPW match. Um, but I I thought it was really fun. I thought um, Mara Fuji was really really good his new gear is stunning first off and uh one thing i did really like about this match was that the story was just very compact and extremely easy to understand um just you had this great call when shun got in the ring and was like wiping his feet oh, on that the bastard um, yeah that <laughs> bastard yeah. And disrespectful what Alicia was saying about how you bring life to the, you know, commentary table and you sort of bring this fan perspective and this excitement. Um, and I really like that. And it, it really did help me buy into the match. Um, but yeah, so I'll turn it over. Cause like I said, this wasn't my number one match on the card. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, Alicia, did you have any sort of takes on this match? Uh, <laughs> I was getting impatient I, I um, around be. this time, but I was super excited to see Mara Fuji. I knew he was going to debut a new costume, and that's always um, exciting for me as someone who just adores him. And I thought this one was really nice. I like it more than the last one. So huge highlight of the match for me. But I'm also not a Dragon Gate guy, so I don't really know any of that stuff. I don't really know Z-Brats. I do know, though, I know Kai. And I thought that his like shirt vest thing with like the message for Mudo on the back was super sick. Really liked that. So nice. Um, did you like how he opened the dragon gate on his uh, entranceway? He sure did. He sure did. <laughs> He's he certainly did, didn't he? Um, I don't think I've ever seen like Alicia, you don't uh, sound impressed. No, not so much. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Shun wrestle before. <laughs> 
whatever noises he makes the entire time he wrestles that started to like really trip me out like like immediately like I think almost immediately that was like super gritty the mic perfectly picked up on that like the whole way through that graded on me so badly I don't know if I could ever watch another match of his if that's what he does personally <laughs> just personally but I you will know say what? that I couldn't hear that Alicia when I was on commentary really I, it was so uh well that we had the Mark and Stu are in my ears too and the uh, <laughs> It's like the house sound, not the main sound. So there were some things that I was watching that I couldn't really pick up on because it was blasting in my ears. Like some of the, even the chants, uh-huh. I, uh, I, I, it was a weird mix. And I would often do, I would often take one ear off and I see like a measure the sound and it was a little different. So I didn't, I have, that's what I want to do. And I want to rewatch the, um, like that match because I didn't hear that. Even when you though, rewatch and, it, tell me what you think of the of what he was doing because because you'll but, you'll hear it immediately. <laughs> it's interesting to hear that though because on the other hand, like I remember watching Yamashita throw a kick and I could really hear that snap like really loudly over my uh, headphones. So it's just weird. Huh. It, it's Tokyo. Tokyo Dome has it's such an open uh, like wide space, so that the sound. Some sounds just go up into the air and disappear, and some come right at you. It's yeah, it, that's why so I want to rewatch it. Yeah, I want to rewatch it because there's things that I didn't pick that up. I couldn't really hear those little uh, moments, especially like the ring mics, because it, it was just blasting in my. It was so uh, my ears were ringing the next day. It was really loud. Oh God, so, I bet that's fascinating. I do want to say though about you know Wagner. He just had a match recently against Soya that was. <sighs> Just outstanding. And I'm just really excited about him. And I thought he was like one of the highlights of this match just in general. I love his costume right now. He looks like an old school Lucha star. Like he just looks so fucking cool all the time. And I really, really am just excited about him because I remember even as far back as when his dad lost his mask, um, people were really like not high on him at all. Um, part of like the storyline coming out of his his dad losing his mask was that he like said to Psycho Clown and like that whole family, like, my son is going to come for you guys. And he made, they made it like a revenge thing, which I thought was like one of the coolest fucking things I'd ever watched live. I was like sobbing watching this as it was all happening. And that was a great 2017. Yeah. Chippenania. 2017. Yep. Yep. Bloody brawl. I remember that. That was cool. Yeah. Fucking cool match. But he really like, um, you know, put this on Wagner Jr. as like, my son is going to come for you. It's always going to be like a vendetta, like over this, like him losing his mask to Psycho Clown. And People were like kind of like laughing a little bit because like Wagner just like hadn't really found himself as a wrestler and uh back then and that was only a couple of years ago but like I really think that he's just hitting his stride now and I think him working in Noah is so good and like he's so grateful to be there and you could tell he's really liking it and I loved him interacting with Mara Fuji um who I think is just so good at working with just about anyone so that's what I took away from this mask, uh, rather this match um, in particular, was just how much I like am enjoying Wagner and like seeing him, I think, really step into, you know, the role that I think he's meant to kind of play here. And I think he's a real asset to what we have going on in Noah. Again, I'm a huge fan of bringing Luchadors into Noah. I think that's the real pipeline more than anywhere else. So yeah, Wagner is 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 great. I thought the match was fine. Not super high on the Dragon Gate stuff. I just don't watch the company, so it doesn't really mean anything to me. But like the Wag, like Wagner and like that Marafuji, that kind of stuff. That's awesome. 
I, I, unfortunately, I believe Diamante hurt his uh, left elbow or left arm in the match. Yes, yes. I think that looked scary. Yeah, yeah I, 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 think I think he's okay. I heard he's okay. I didn't actually know he he got hurt hurt until I had read um, Lou's review <laughs> earlier today. Um, mm. But yeah, yeah, Lou, you were um, talking talking up Wagner as well. Yeah, uh, big. I actually didn't watch a lot of Noah last year, so that match with Manabu Soya was kind of my introduction to Wagner Jr. And he kind of blew my mind. He's, as Alicia said, probably one of the coolest wrestlers on the roster right now, and I just want to see him more and more and more. As for the match, I thought it was good, but I think my expectations might have been a bit too high I, with with this kind of lineup where you have like Diamante and Wagner Jr. and Ninja Mac in the same ring. I thought we were going to get like basically a new Matrix movie or something, some really <laughs> like high level crazy shit. And we did get some of it, but uh, I didn't think it was on the level of something you would get from like a high level Dragon Gate match or anything like that. Uh, for me, the highlight was actually the interactions between Marufuji and Shun Skywalker. You could tell they were really having fun working off each other. And I, I thought Marufuji bounced off like Shun's weird heel noises uh, really well, actually. <laughs> weird heel noises. He should put that on a T-shirt, actually, I think. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I thought it was a nice, um, compact story putting, you know, this disrespectful anti-Noah guy versus the icon of Noah, like just Noah himself, like right there. So I, I thought that was a really um, well done, you know, easy to understand story. And speaking of story, <laughs> that brings us beautifully into our next match, which is just thick with story and history um just a then now forever kind of story and that would be our all japan versus noah match and that is kento miyahara suwama yuma aoyagi versus keno katsuko nakajima and manabu soya so I'm i just don't think people can see right here. now but i think I, I want the fans to know that uh, Rachel and Alicia are salivating right now. They've been salivating <laughs> for the past uh, 30 minutes. You can't see it, but they are so excited to talk about this. And I am too, because this this is easy. I think a lot of people will say this was their favorite match on the card. Oh, e easily. Even over, especially if you're, if so, there are people that watch that probably, they know Muto, but they didn't grow up with them and they're not as interested and this was the, the the new generation then now forever very nice oh, where did i hear that um i think that yeah it had story and the wrestling you don't have to even know the uh, stories to really enjoy the wrestling so actually so i know that you are just chomping at the bit to talk about this so i'd love to hear all of your uh, reactions to this one because this came off so great in many yeah. different ways it was perfect. It was, it was a perfect piece of storytelling and athleticism. And it just, it weaves into this just really intricate fabric that has been sort of coming together for years and years. And um, we've sort of been very fortunate to have scheduled our previous podcast episodes 
to sort of intersect with this match that we didn't know was going to happen. Um, so I always encourage people to go check out episodes 29 um, that was on Diamond Ring specifically, and then episode 30, which is on the aggression, uh, which came into play quite beautifully because we had um, from the very beginning of this match, Masaki Tamiya comes out. And um, Justin, you mentioned that like when he walked out for commentary, um, everyone was kind of like, oh, Ooh. and um, yeah, no, it, I gasped. I actually think Alicia and I both like just reacted very that's noise i made in my living room certainly <laughs> yeah well, oh, for sure I, I think these guys that are from kensuke office or double j or diamond ring you know they never they were always very talented and had great followings in japan but they never had the the eyeballs on them like a new japan guys or even a noah or even all japan guys because those companies had management problems uh it's harder to see the material especially if you don't live in japan you know but kensuke sasaki Kichoshu's camps the masasaito's camps they're a big part of the japanese pro wrestling scene too but they never had a proper home you know new japan is a home it's not going anywhere and noah has been established and it's a home but those guys they've they've struggled to find their their homes until now you know, Nakajima found his home in Noah. Miyahara found his home in All Japan. But they're kind of from this, uh, you know, loose collective of, you know, road warrior type uh, wrestlers who they re they're in it for themselves, but they never had the platform. This is a great platform for these types of wrestlers who are really important in the Japanese scene, but never had that like, uh, what's the word? like a foundation or like an environment to really shine consistently into a lot of people. So this was a big moment for that too. So a lot of the yeah. unseen talent, it's there. And, you know, as hardcore fans, we know, but now everybody got the chance to know that full story. Wow. What was going on these years? What's, and it's, I was very happy with that because it pulls in a lot of history, but it also introduces a lot of new stuff too. Hmm. Yeah. Perfect. And I, and I think that, that really is, is it, it just, um, it brings it to the forefront things that have, like I said, been, been weaving throughout years and years. And, um, yeah. So the story of this match, um, Alicia, do you want to, <laughs> she's looking at me like, really, I can, I can definitely talk about this match forever, but, um, I know you're a big Kento fan. So why don't you <laughs> tell us sort of Kento's where to start walking. I don't even know well I want to start out with Kento walking out in the Tokyo Dome and he has and you guys talked about this and, and Lou you wrote about this just oozing charisma and walking out and making himself so big and so large in front of his senpai Katsuko Nakajima and you just have this incredible image of him showboating and there's great pictures of like Keno and Soya's reaction and Nakajima's not paying him really any mind he's not seeing him as this all Japan ace so right from the beginning you're getting that incredible moment and uh, Alicia I didn't know if you had any like insights or thoughts or reactions to that well, just hearing, I think, Bray Cart in the Dome was really special and important. I know, like, Lou and I had talked about being disappointed. Um, a few of us talked about being disappointed about Kento losing the Triple Crown, literally right before the Dome, two days before, to Yuji Nagata, in a very good match. Um, I will say that. But 
you know, and Justin, you, you kind of said this to me too, and you, I think, wound up being uh, very correct. And, and I knew this as well, but it's just Kento is always going to be Kento, whether he has the Triple Crown or not. And you got to see this. And Justin, you kind of beautifully illustrated this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Kento is performing like he's in front of the Tokyo Dome, even when he's in Shinkiba. So to actually see him do this on this level, but then to also be there with Yuma, who was our belt holder. That was really That's cool. Right. And then with Suwama, who had been in, the, he was of that team. He was the only one who had been in the dome. Suwama had been in a tag in 2007 as a part of Voodoo Murders. So that's sort of extraordinary. Had that moment with the three of them. And yeah, you, you, get, you get Nakajima immediately not paying attention to him, but Kento uh, making himself as big as possible. And there's these beautiful fan photos of Kento on the uh the turnbuckle doing his pose you know pointing into the rafters and um on congo sort of like off to the side and nakajima sitting there on the uh the bottom turnbuckle of a different ring post and not looking at him and that is the crux of the story that is the issue that we've been talking about for years or rather not talking about because these two haven't actually done all that much talking themselves it's all of us who have done the talking for them which is the brilliant part of the story so yeah i was um in love with this and i thought it was extraordinary and justin you pointed this out on commentary so i'm assuming that you could hear because you probably pulled your headphones back but you could hear the kento chants in the tokyo dome which i thought was extraordinary because um i knew that there would be kento fans there and all japan fans there when um especially when this card uh rather this match on the card was announced but that was really um special and cool and um you could definitely hear the the fans uh calling for kento i think even later on into the match too and i think some people did not like uh nakajima's taunts later on either (laughs) with kento which is really interesting so yeah, all of that was um, super, super cool. But I also thought that the opening of this match was really interesting because they didn't tease us at all. They put them against each other right away. But it's interesting because Nakajima is, uh, he, Kento immediately turns around and Nakajima had, you know, he had initially sat on the ground like he was going to wait Kento out in terms of um, fighting him. And that throws Nakajima off. He has a very interesting look on his face. He's not being smug and he's not being smarmy about it. He just looks very resigned to, you know, what they have um, going on there. Um, It's almost like he's frustrated by Kento. And um, I'm going to actually steal a little bit from Rachel's translation work because we were able to to know what Masa was saying um, on JD commentary. But Masa is commentating over this and he's watching them square off in the ring against each other. And he said, they're both trying to be the senior here. I hate them both, which is such a heavy line. Um, And I think underscores really what we're going to get into through the rest of this match is that this is two people who um, are always trying to outdo the other. And then Masa is the one who kind of ends up uh, feeling the brunt of that at all times, which is really fascinating. He was the victim of their egos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a, in a big way. It's, it's really interesting because you have a lot of moments where they're playing, um, they're almost taking turns being victims of, of different people's egos. Cause you also have this really um, great moment that Alicia and I have talked about at length. And that's when um, Nakashima grabs Kento 
and puts him in a chokehold along the guardrails. And he he shouts, um, Mita, he, he shouts, look to um, yeah, to make sure yeah, like, look at this is watching. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's like, Mita, it's it's and um, commentary is like, hey, Nakajima's making sure you're looking, Kitamiya. And Kitamiya straight up says, like, I don't want to be here. I don't know why they made me do commentary. He's like, why do I have to be here? Um, But it's fascinating because Alicia had a point, is that Nakajima didn't really hate wrestling Kento. He's not, he he's almost frustrated. He, he wants to wrestle Kento. He wants to have a conversation with Kento. And that comes into the backstage comments later. But he hates Masa. He, he does. He, and we cover that in episode 29, but he, he has grown to truly, truly hate and want to hurt Masa. So he is shutting off right now. And um, he's tormenting Masa using Kento as a pawn. And now Kento has become a victim of their ongoing rivalry and feud by becoming sort of this, I, I keep saying middle child syndrome, but that's really what you're feeling from Kento there. Um, he's become a pawn in in their fight. And it's just the three of them just so tightly interlinked throughout this match. And I thought that was just brilliantly done. What you get in those moments, and you get this especially toward the end with uh, Kento and Nakajima's last interaction together before they go to the backstage comments. But what this has always been, um, the kayfabe of it at least, and I have to keep saying the kayfabe of it because there is some confusion even still, I think, of people who don't understand how to read wrestling uh, versus, you know, what they want to do with, you know, trying to be little insiders. But the kayfabe of this is that this is a family drama that has been playing out in the public eye for years now. And the issue with family dramas is that you have years and years of all of this stuff. And sometimes you you don't even remember why you hate your brother at the end of the day, right? That's what you're seeing in all these different little interactions. Nakajima doing that to Masa using Kento, that moment's not even about Kento anymore. It's just to hurt Masa. And those things are all of these like little interactions between brothers who just don't have anything in common anymore, except that they know exactly how to brutalize each other. That's all they have left in common, the three of them. That's, That's all they remember. Baseline. That's all they remember at this exactly. point is yeah. how to brutalize each other and how to use each other to brutalize each other, which we'll see coming towards the end of that match as well with Kento and Masa's interaction. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, exactly it. But even in sort of this uh, tapestry, this this beautiful um, storytelling, there was some really great moments as well. Um, just throughout, we got Yuma um, doing that mock Muto uh, pays and everybody booed. The I'm whole crowd was so behind him. <laughs> but when Nakajima did his own little Muto tribute, everybody cheered. So it was truly just all, all against um, Yuma Aoyagi. And uh, yeah, Lou, what did you, I know we could talk about this match forever. <laughs> what were your takeaways from this match? I know you're a, um, to quote you, a Zen Nihon freak. So we want to hear about your your thoughts on this match as well. I loved it. I loved this so much. I think you guys perfectly covered the Kensuke office storyline that was put forward here. Uh, one thing that really stuck with me here was Noah fans kind of rediscovering Suwama. Mm -hmm. It was like they fell in love with the guy after maybe not seeing him in action for a few years. He was just, he's just a perfect wrestler for this kind of match where he's just laying into everyone, uh, just the big match monster wrestler. 
this we, we've seen a lot of big five-star matches in the Tokyo Dome from New Japan in these past few years. This thing, for me, it had more of the vibe of something you would get from like a 90s Shinya Hashimoto match, where it's like a fight. They're not here to like, you know, put in like a, a masterpiece. They just want to have a fight. thought it was really cool vibe. I have to shout out Keno somehow surviving the Suwama slap. <laughs> it really mm-hmm. brought the drama to uh, insane levels. Like he was out of it for a full two minutes just. And you could see Yuma Aoyagi sort of like trying to get him through one sequence to the next. And then at some point, he snapped back into it. He did the finish, which... Uh, I thought it was really scary. He had to climb to the top rope to do the diving foot stomp. And you could see him being sort of like, oh, sh- I don't, I'm not sure about this. And he nailed it. Yeah, just amazing match. One of my favorites on the card. And I mean, it, it it's all going to be in the, the way they follow up the match, right? So if they play their cards right, uh, I mean, both All Japan and Noah, they're going to have like years and years of storylines out of this one match only. And it's just really exciting to look forward to. We've, yeah, we've five angry about- wrestlers and Yuma Aoyagi. That's how I would <laughs> describe this match. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry Yuma to interrupt, really Rachel. So well. No, no, actually, that's I wanted to talk about Yuma. No, I, he did a great job. And um, like you said, Lou, um, he really was looking out for Keno in that part. Um, yeah. That's something that Alicia and I have talked about at length because, of course, I was clutching my pearls. Um, I was I was very worried. And um, but yeah, Yuma was really looking out for him. And and once they finally got a break, you could see the referee come in immediately. And I thought everybody um, took care of each other in that match and executed like on a shoot level. They all did a really, really good job um, looking out for each other. And that just shows off um, Aoyagi's instincts. He's so young. He's the youngest in that match. And I, I thought he did an amazing job throughout it. He worked that crowd. I mean, I, I really I did love his uh, Perest love um moment but even even throughout he just he he shined as well and he was also wrestling like the tokyo dome was natural and i'll say about yuma too he kind of had the the short end of the stick in some ways because he Mm -hmm. didn't have the natural storyline there and like soya was going for suwama and really that's something that i know i think everyone that's on this call right now really wants to see coming out of this everybody wants to see soya and suwama collide but like so often there would be times where like you'd see Yuma coming out of the corner to like interact with someone like he'd grab Soya again even though like Keno and so and uh, Soya were both engaging Suwama at once at one point and it's like <laughs> poor Yuma he's just like running around trying to engage in some of this stuff but um at the same time like all of those guys did such a good job of giving you things to um to be excited about to be interested in it was like some really hard-hitting great stuff but when they gave Nakajima and Kento a remarkable amount of time to truly work, which I thought was really interesting in how this match was built. I did not think that they would start the match, nor did I think they would get such a long build in the middle. They got so much time to work against each other. And I was really sort of blown away. And I mean, depends on how much of the the kayfabe of this you really believe, but these two, um, you know, Kento says in his post-match comments, it's been 10 years. Do you think that they haven't seen each other in 10 years with the way they wrestled each other? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. But um, I thought that they were, you know, they wrestled like they had lost no time together. They they know each other so well. They work together beautifully. There was some gorgeous sequences between the two of them. Kento pulled out a lariat 
in this tag match, which is a warning shot. He reminded Nakajima that he knows who he is, but also that, you know, they're they're from the same place, right? They have the same blood, so to speak. That was a warning shot. And that was fascinating. There were two men who came out of this entire experience very bothered by the experiences of it. One of them was uh, Kento Miyahara, certainly. And him pulling out a lariat in a tag match like that against Nakajima, like that, just like that, was such a tell at how much this experience of actually being in front of Nakajima and being there uh, with Masa, which we'll talk about, you know, the perceived disrespect of Masa in a moment, that experience was so under his skin. He was acting in a way that I have not seen Kento act in a long time. He does not usually act this bothered uh, by people and by these types of experiences. And yet he pulled out a lariat on Nakajima in this tag as a warning shot. It was absolutely fascinating and I thought the sequence with the attempt of the shutdown suplex was great with Nakajima blocking it and then going into that fucking sick kick that was great they had some incredible sequences against each other it was awesome it was awesome do you happen to know how long this match was I do it was only 15 minutes and 37 seconds yeah it it felt like it flew by I felt like there was so much going on uh, and sometimes it's I, this is what I learned at the Dome. It's hard to call it when, unless there's a screen in front of you, if, if Suama and Manabu Soya want to disappear into the crowd and fight, it's kind of hard for me to see what's going on because I couldn't see. Oh, no. I, I hope they're okay. I can hear it, but I can't see it. <laughs> uh, unless the camera was going to show them. So that was a, yeah, I, I wish, I, I don't know if I wish it went longer or shorter. I guess it was perfect for what it was. And again, I have to uh, look back and, and check on this one. And I think we'll see a lot more out of this. I don't know where, though, in Pro Wrestling Noah, in All Japan or somewhere else. That's interesting. Awesome. I do yeah. want to talk about the ending really quickly, just because once we, you know, we ended that match with Yuma getting pinned, which obviously leads to um, a challenge that we are going to get somewhat imminently, I guess, with Keno and Soya. Uh, challenging Nomu Yagi, which should be really interesting. That's very exciting. But or Congo thought... 2, as they might be called from today. Yes. Congo <laughs> 2. But what I thought was interesting to kind of go off of our comments from Kento making himself as big as possible, even in the entrance, you saw that again um, when the match was sort of over and he rolled out of the ring, or he was rather, he was just kind of on the outside. And he, the camera pan, or rather just cuts to Nakajima standing there. And Nakajima is smiling at him, and Kento draws himself up to like his full height, which looks very imposing because Kento's a, a very big man. He's very broad and he's very tall. Um, and he pulls himself up to his full height to really like stare down through Nakajima. And he does not get that reaction and that recognition. That's the word too, recognition that he's looking for in Nakajima there. Nakajima stares right through him. He smiles and he walks away rather abruptly, which Kento is pissed about and again he's bothered by this experience of this um which is so fascinating he doesn't ever act like this so he immediately turns and screams at masa and then um picks up the barricade and like throws it back down um and masa you know has an interesting reaction to this as well but then this carries into the post-match comments which are fascinating from nakajima that he seems quite genuine Uh, that he was happy to have seen Kento, but this was not the right time for them to have the conversation that they should have. Kento had, I think, 
one of the most like incredible performances in terms of post-match comments that day. Um, and it was heartbreaking. He said a lot of really heartbreaking things. It was probably one of his best uh, performances I've seen in a while from him about in terms of, you know, just backstages. One thing I wanted to, to mention that he said that I found fascinating was he said, I don't care what you're up to in Noah because I know you better than anyone else. And I know deep down you must really regret my existence, but no matter what the media asks, he won't admit that. He must really be frustrated that I'm here. And I think that that's illustrates exactly what this is all about. Again, it's a family drama and it's about recognition from his senior that he feels that he never got or that he wants. And I, I think he's chasing a reaction that uh, he's never quite going to get. Uh, I think that he believes deeply that, that Katsuhiko resents him for um, having the ability to outshine him. Um, but again, it's all in that weird family gray area of, you know, how does Katsu feel about this? And Katsu never talks about this. So it's really hard to say, but it's, uh, it's really fascinating. You can see how this experience of Kento not being able to get Katsu to break during his interactions really affected him. So I'm, I'm extremely interested to see how this keeps developing as things unfold and we see where we get Katsu and Kento over the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah. And that sort of brings us to uh, perfectly to Miyohara's very special birthday wish that came in those same comments where um, he, he couldn't get the recognition from his senior. So he has to make himself a senior to his junior. And that would be Masakita Mia. And um, he sort of demands a formal apology from Masa um, in a suit and uh, that he has to, and he starts talking on Twitter, like you have to go through the company and make sure that your company approves you coming over to All Japan, which is an extremely Akira Hokuto thing. Like she talks that way in her book, like all the time. So um, it, it's it's very much, he's deliberately bringing up, like, remember your proper greetings, which is a Kensuke Sasaki thing, very important to Kensuke Sasaki. So um, he's sort of reminding, you know, Masa, like, you're, you're a Kensuke office boy, and that makes you beneath me. So um, it's just, it's, it's really incredible to see just sort of this cycle that they're going through of just constantly reminding themselves, like whether it's intentional or not, that they're, you know, of this hierarchy and Masa is sort of trapped at the bottom and breaking out of it. And we won't know how that plays out until uh, I guess in a few hours uh, when the All Japan <laughs> show is tonight. And I'm, I'm very excited for that. But is that a Korokin? I believe so. Yes, that is a Korokin Hall show. Oh, you know yeah. what? Maybe I'll go. Oh, hey. Our I'm about 30 minutes walk from there. Yeah, the scene. You'll have to message us. Oh, for sure. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, let's sort of take this, this part home. Um, where do we go from here? Lou, what are your predictions? Are we getting Masakita Mia in the champion carnival? Are we getting Nakajima? Are we getting Soya? Like what, what is, what is your ideal scenario here? We have to get one of these guys in the carnival. It's, there's no other, I don't see any other reason they would have had those X announcements unless they had this big surprise up their sleeves. And considering what we just saw here, it has to be one of these guys, at least one of them. I think they have enough material to like go the full year in terms of like Kensuke office uh, revival matches here. Um, they could do, I mean, they could do either like Kento and Nakajima straight off 
in the Champion Carnival or build up to it with more tag team matches. But I think it's going to be a big piece of the year for actually both All Japan and NOAA. I really want, selfishly, I really want Miyahara in the N1 this summer. That'd be great. That's, I, that's that, been a prediction. That's been a prediction. I want I think, it. I want it. I think <laughs> that a Kento run in Noah as a full-on heel would be amazing. He mm. has all the tools to piss off the Noah crowd. I, I'd love to see it. It would be cool to get him in front of like Wrestle Universe. Like he yeah. would be seen, yeah. which I think yeah. is the most important part to me about getting him in the N1. I have like slight reservations with that only because like he is the six time former Triple Crown champion and he has to go back up to Noah, but he would get to be on Wrestle Universe. And I think that's more important. It reminds me of when Tanahashi was in Champion Carnival. Yes. With yes. When he was a heel. It was mm-hmm. his mate, and he was great. And it was, I think it's kind of a similar style. I think mm-hmm. Miyahara, there's some parallels. Arrogant, but great wrestler, outsider, making everybody, trying to make everybody look bad. Fingers crossed, Miyahara and N1. Let's see. I think it's funny that you guys picked him as the heel, too, because this, and that, that's why I think it's funny. I mean, all the comments from Masa and Kento, you have this feeling of Nakajima as being the problem right but that's why i think this this story is brilliant they're all the problem that's what a family drama is right they're all the problem and i think even today kento in the press was saying that he always thought that masa was stupid and he thought that masa was his errand boy how horrible is that nakajima has also said some like nakajima has said some of the meanest things i've ever heard anyone say in a ring however i've never heard him call someone stupid or his errand boy. That was new that I've heard someone say. And that came from Kento about Masa. And yet we're supposed to have believed this whole time that it was Nakajima who was the terrible, mean ogre of a senior. That's why the storyline is so fun. Because you learn these new little layers to it as they make it up. Because they're literally making it up right now. That's why it's fantastic. Pulling from those, like, uh, from the background. and While mm-hmm. they kind of freestyle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and like I said, uh, Kitamiya is probably about to pull off some of the cruelest comments that you've seen um, in return because he can really give as good as he gets when it comes to uh, mic work and uh, promo work. So I, um, I'm very interested to see where we go from here. That's for sure. One match that just genuinely took me off guard um, with surprising amount of emotion and love um, was actually Nazawa's retirement match. <laughs> and that oh. would be Gato and Taishi Shimori versus Nazawa Rangai and Mazda. And I don't think any of us really expected this match to be anything. And I definitely don't think anyone expected Taiji Ishimori's reaction to this match. I don't even know if Taiji um, expected this interaction or this reaction to this match. I think this was more of like a formal ceremonial little bit for the show. Give Nosawa yeah. his chance. And it seemed like it meant a very, very high amount of uh, emotion. It meant a lot to Ishimori. I've never seen him look like that. Yeah. And then the, the Nosawa said, you know, cut my head off, do it. Very, it, it was nice. And it was short. That's that was cool. 
so short. He said he wanted to retire in the Tokyo Dome and say he actually really wanted to like wrestle a match in the Tokyo Dome. So I, I <laughs> exactly. Was, yeah, I, I thought that was very admirable. Semantics. <laughs> what, did guys, what did you guys think? I think no one is allowed to be mean about Nosawa ever again because that was literally the funniest way he could have retired. That was brilliant. I thought it was great. I like a lot of men like openly cried on this card, and I and I yes. don't know if anyone wept harder than Taiji though, which like blew my mind. This like match after coming off of like the Kensuke office shit, this really stunned me. I was really confused, but like in a good way. Like I thought it was, I thought it was kind of brilliant but like I don't know like I, I and I, I was sort of very moved by Nosawa being so emotional too like he, like he was very like um glassy-eyed like getting up from the pin poor like Wada and like Ghetto were trying to comfort Taiji like it was it was quite the scene for this little retirement match yeah. Yeah. It, it blew my mind but like I mean Nosawa like whether you love him or hate him like he's had a seriously long career and his hands have been in a ton of things in this industry like things that I think people have kind of forgotten that he's been a part of and I think that that's you know it's it's impressive and it's was this was such a weird and funny but also kind of fitting end to him and again we can't ever be mean about him again because this was kind of funny so that's it that's all but as an aside i did think it was super cool to hear um the dome crowd shout kyohei at the start that was really cool super super cool and i thought that like it was surprisingly like funny to hear like uh ghetto and nosawa talking to each other in like very basic spanish like that went hard for no reason that was just great i like there was no this match was like seven stars for me excellent stuff (laughs) really enjoyed it Lou, how many star ratings did you give this match? Yes, I feel like seven stars is an accurate rating for this match. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I guess my my only comment here, I I just want to shout, um, during the Bone Soldier entrance, I think, Justin, you said something along the lines of, (laughs) we are now entering the Bone Zone. I thought that's right. (laughs) Brilliant line, just so Thank you. I was so worried about that. I'm like, because, you know, Sometimes, and especially in Japan, I used to teach English in Japan. There's so many times where you're going to throw something out there and it's like throw something into the water. I don't know what happened to it. So I'm happy that you uh, got that. Thank you, Captain Lou. That's now I can I'm going to sleep really well tonight, I think. Thank you. Yes. Bone soldier entering the bone zone. (laughs) Uh, Even bones can cry. All right. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And just to, we gotta, as fans, we have to appreciate uh, like the Lucha Libre influence on pro wrestling of the past 20 years. And he was a big part of it, especially backstage, putting things together and bringing a lot of wrestlers and mentoring great wrestlers like Ishimori, who apparently he, uh, Nosawa taught him how to drink tequila like a fish. So <laughs> I love that. He taught him all the important stuff. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it's about. That's what this whole show is about, is those uh, endings, beginnings, and reunions. And uh, you start to really feel that as we get into these last three matches of our master stage, um, which we we went into with Nozawa's uh, retirement match. That was the first match of the master stage. So now we have Roma Takahashi versus Amaksa. And uh, this this match, I actually, I knew some of the backstory, um, thanks to one of Keno's YouTube videos. Uh, where he, he did a little <laughs> the bit teacher. of show and tell. Yeah, yeah, he went teacher mode. He, he actually did show and tell 
um, he had a little pamphlet from their um, Tokyo tornado, their tag team days. He had a pamphlet from his own trip to the UK. Uh, so he he showed that off. But a lot of the backstory was actually I got from this fantastic interview uh, done by Hiromu Takahashi, which was translated beautifully on the NOAA official English YouTube channel. So if you guys do not know that they do occasionally put up some really great translated stuff, often by uh, Mr. Justin Nipper himself. So uh, it, it, team effort on that. It's yeah, a, oh, be, for sure. me and the, the English team. We're we're trying we're trying to do more and more. Yeah, it's working with Japanese like uh, um the what are they, like the video editors and me and go back and forth. Yeah, we're trying to do more and more. I, I'm really to be honest, I'm really envious of how New Japan does. I think they're the best at that. Uh, I mm. just beat. I, I so uh, respect to that. I want it to get better and better. So hopefully you get more of that. And uh, Takahashi is quite. He doesn't talk like everybody else, so the way to translate him is a little different, too. He's quite unique, to say the least. He has his own way of talking. But it, it was great. It was great to have that content available. Yeah. And, like, encourage people to check that out. And, and, and it's a cool story he told. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, a thank really you for that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a really cool story. It was a really cool match. And, yeah, I was, I was curious about your guys' thoughts on it. I, I love the realism. I love that you know these two lived together for three months uh, yeah. when they were young, um, and they said they were going to do it again. And 13 years later, they did it again. And I'm so happy for Maxa, who I, I can't imagine. I, this is probably his best match of his career, and he had his Tokyo Dome moment. And Takahashi gave it to him. And Takahashi was the one who offered his hand after the match. Uh, that I think, I think that. It helped bring both like Hiromu Takahashi's quite he's there, he's in his spot, but to I thought it was quite giving for him to bring Amaksa up. I thought he really brought Amaksa up to that level, even if he didn't win. Like I, I don't know why people are so upset about like New Japan no winning. Like it's not like a sports game, because I think everybody really benefited. I in that particular match, I think Amaksa came off looking better, even though he lost. And Hiromu came off looking great. So I, I loved uh, how this came about. Yeah, the Genbai stuff. And uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Lou, do do you sort of agree? Because I've also seen a lot of people complaining about um, Amoxa losing or about the amount of New Japan uh, winning on this card. But uh, how did you feel? How did you um, feel Amoxa walked away from this? And what did you? what were your impressions of this match? I'm with uh, Justin here. Actually, even even with him losing the match, uh, I thought Amakusa looked great here. And you could see that Hiromu was a guy with a lot of experience in the Tokyo Dome, sort of designing the match around all of Amakusa's strengths, just making him look really good. And yeah, Amakusa really stepped up. He showed a lot of technique here. It was, I, I, I'm sure, a lot of... Um, there's going to be a lot of converts after this match. Like we're going to want, want to watch him in Noah again. So uh, mission accomplished, I guess. No matter the result, mission accomplished. He's really fearless. He just jumped right out of the ring about 30 yes. seconds into the match. So yeah. I could feel that he had, you know, it takes guts to do stuff like that. And for him to not even think and do it in Tokyo Dome, it's cool. It's really cool. Alicia, what did you... Uh... What do you think about this match and what did you take away for with uh, Amoxa? 
Uh, for me, I'm not super high on the Amakusa character repackaging. Mm-hmm. That's I still have like issues from like How's Exit from Congo. Like I just had some some real issues with the storytelling there um, that fell super flat for me, and I just haven't enjoyed this repackaging all that much. Which is not to say he didn't in, he doesn't deserve these moments, and that he's not a super talented man because he really is. So that's fine. But I think what I do want to say, and that kind of leads into what. Justin was saying just before is that what's more important for me on these cards, these interpromotional cards, um, is not the scorekeeping that I kept seeing coming off of this one, which just frankly pisses me off. I think it's the most boring way to watch wrestling. What's not important to me is scorekeeping. What's important to me is did they hit the storytelling? Are the beats there? Did they hit and nail the storytelling beats? Um, did they either close the story? Did we advance the story? Like, wh- like what, what happened to the story in the matches? And this card just nailed advancing the story or closing certain stories all night long. And they did that here. Maybe it didn't appeal to me as much, but I remember Rachel, you telling me about like the different history and like Keno's YouTube video and like all the stuff between these guys. And hey, they, they did it. Mission accomplished here. Mission accomplished here. No matter who won. People get so hung up on, I think, uh, their New Japan bias and politics, perceived politics, what have you. And that's not to say that I haven't complained recently about politics either, because I complain very loudly about certain things that happened over in um, all Japan. I get it. Mm -hmm. However, on these joint promotional cards, if you're scorekeeping, I think you're missing the point. Yeah, by the way, it's predetermined. (laughs) (laughs) I think people people forget. Yeah, do people think that wrestling has no storytelling behind it? It's not like a way to advance storytelling through the art. I'm, I'm confused. I, I get more confused every time I log on to Twitter. Yeah, I'm going to stay really, away this week. Good good plan. <laughs> good plan. <laughs> What's really fun about this match is that it did end up advancing story that I wouldn't have expected that it would have advanced. I didn't think there really was anything to do from here or go from here. But we are getting Amaksa and Hiromu teaming up together along with Hayato Jr. Fujita at um, Hiromu's show on March 1st in the All-Star Junior Festival. And uh, Keno pointed out on his YouTube channel that uh, what likely happened was the two came to understand each other and have come to uh, some agreement because there was that whole subplot about Amaksa's identity, whether he was truly Kenbai or not. And uh, it doesn't matter now because now they've come to understand each other as they are now and they're teaming together. So that's something that storyline wasn't really it didn't resonate with me, but it's still there and it's still happening. And um, people will pick up on it and people will find it and people will enjoy it, which I thought was just really cool that just to sort of see the continuations. Speaking of (laughs) continuation stories and. some people online doing some scorekeeping that maybe we shouldn't be doing. Uh, let's talk about Kaito Kiyomiya versus Kazuchika Okada. Shall we talk about this match? Because I know this was I mean, it's probably my second favorite match of the card, but it was still really, it's still really high up there. Um, so yeah, so opening this match, um, actually opening the show, we got an announcement that Kaito Kiyomiya requested to have the time limit removed from this match. Um, so that sort of sets this tone of Kaito wanting to bring it to the stamina king, you know, show the rainmaker that he he can go, you know, 45 minutes, whatever. That's fine. That's not what happened. 
But this match really wasn't the squash match that you would think it was if you just looked at the online like chatter about it. And actually, Captain Lou, this might be a good one for you because you watched the show not live. So you probably saw the results and saw some reactions to this match before you actually saw this match. So give us your impressions. What did you think you were going to get when you went in and what did you end up getting? Yeah, it's definitely a match that did not match all the reactions I was seeing online beforehand. Um, For me, that was one of the best matches of the year, straight up. And not just that, but one of the most interesting Okada performances in years, probably. Everything he did here felt so calculated with extreme precision, but in the best way possible. Like every facial expression, every moment he would sell or no sell, it was perfectly designed. Uh, Just a reminder of the level that this guy can perform at. I know uh, New Japan have been sort of putting him in the spotlight uh, all the time for many years, but having him put together this kind of performance was just like perfect reminder of how good he can be. Kiyomiya, that might've been one of his uh, best performances ever. Also for me, he really stepped up here in a way that uh, uh, I I don't know if we've seen him uh, at this level before. I'm, I'm always sort of, um, sort of skeptical about how the way he's been using the KG Muto uh, offense of his current run, but the way he used it here, I thought was amazing. Uh, the way he was throwing the shining wizards, uh, they did they did a, like a rainmaker shining wizard counter spot that felt like it came from the like classic Okada Kenny Omega matches, but instead of like the Kenny Omega V trigger, we got the Kaito shining wizard. Mm. That was amazing. Uh, that whole stretch where he was working over the Rainmaker arm by using like the Keiji Muto style uh, precision drop kicks, thought it was super clever. And for for all the complaining that I saw about the finish, I thought to me it was just an obvious like Okada worked the match as a heel. He did like a total dick move heel finish. He was booed for it. Uh, Kiyomiya came off like as a super baby face. So whatever they do next, I think it positions Kaito perfectly as the baby face of the story. And I'm I'm thinking the best is still yet to come. Yeah, I think that was perfectly said. And uh yeah, it's I thought Kaito looked so cool. I thought those four sequences of his were just amazing. I thought when he was pushing Okada back into the ring, he had such cool confidence. Um, yeah, I didn't really see a lot of you know, what people seem to be talking about. It was like those last couple minutes sort of wiped away the other like what 12, 13 minutes of the match. I thought it was very even. And actually, Alicia, you mentioned that upon rematching or rewatching the match is that it was a lot more even than you remembered. And um, the other thing that I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like when I first watched it live, I mean, I did not think at all that it was a squash. I didn't check it as that. Kaito was with him the whole way. Uh, Kaido hits that beautiful uh, tiger suplex um, and then maybe for the next two minutes after that is when Okada capitalizes and wins the match mm-hmm. people made it like Okada like just beat the shit out of him for 10 minutes and won the match and that's not what happened it's it's not what happened but 
Um, the thing that's really irritating me is that Gokata is such a master of character work. I understand why people don't like his wrestling all the time. I get it. But he's a fantastic study for ace character work. And I don't understand how we lost the plot between everybody being on the same page for the tag to here. I don't understand what happened, but Okada <laughs> in the tag, and you have like all this beautiful build even before that, right? Like Kaito asked for this match years ago and he got a cover of Shupra for it, right? So you have that. And then you have the first New Japan Noah card uh, from what was that now? 2022. You had that tag where Okada left Kaito in tears, leaving the ring. So you had that build. And, and what did that mirror? That mirrored what Tanahashi did to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom years ago. So you had that beautiful built-in storyline there. Then you have this year's New Japan Noah card. Um, and you have that great Choshu Maeda moment with the kick, the kick that everybody was talking about. And that breaks Okada. That breaks him. When does anyone remember the last time Okada ever snapped and act like, acted like that with anybody? He is very similar to Kento as an ace character and that he believes that he is truly peerless. He believes that there is nobody on his level. It is Okada and everybody else is beneath him. That is who Kazuchika Okada thinks that he is, okay? Kaito, in one moment, shattered that veneer. He literally got Okada to pull his mask off. That moment of him running through the tunnel and screaming after that tag was the tell of how much this bothered him. And then the entire build for the dome was Okada telling you over and over again, very loudly, how bothered he was by Kaito Kiyomiya. And he <laughs> never, ever, ever acts like this, saying he wasn't going to show up, saying that Kaito had no right to make demands of him. He didn't go to the presser. A, a very cool, collected man who thinks that Kaito isn't worth anything doesn't act like that. He's telling you all of this in the build, in the story of this. And then you get to this match and he does every perfect heel trope to make Kaito look like a little hero. And people still didn't get this. He did one of my favorite things ever, which is that in that final moment, he has the pin and like he could have pinned Kaito on that first Rainmaker and he doesn't. He pulls him up at two because it's not about winning the match. It has nothing to do with winning. It has everything to do with getting revenge because Kaito got so under his skin and he had to make a point. That's perfect heel work. And yet I'm supposed to believe that like Kaito was was like just completely damaged from this and is now like a broken man wandering around dragging the GHC behind him. I don't understand that. I thought that this was beautifully built through Okada's work and through Kaito coming off like a more complete character, which we got in the story of him and Keno at the Budokan. That was the point of that match. So I'm just, I'm not understanding where we're losing the ability to read these matches and put the pieces together and see the storytelling as it happens over the last several years. I got yelled at on Twitter for daring to talk about King's Road, which happens to me every time I talk about King's Road, so I try not to do it. But I made the suggestion that Okada is just Jumbo Saruta to Kaito's Misawa, which, mind you, Kaito did the same damn thing in a tweet, but he was allowed to say it and I wasn't. But regardless, that's what they've set up. Like, Okada is just this now imposing monster heel ace figure that now Kaito, even though he's in a different promotion can now figure out how to overcome and we get to have the story longer because wrestling shouldn't end in one show, right? It should keep going. That's the point of wrestling. Now we get to have more of this because wrestling is never ending. Wrestling so is still, a marathon. Wrestling is a marathon. So I still just- With no end. 
with no intent. So I just don't reference. I just don't. um, I don't understand where we lost the plot there. I loved so much of this and I didn't actually realize that people didn't like it until much later on in the day because I didn't like it. I had to be told by people like, oh, there's people talking shit about the match Kaito. They think Kaito was, um, you know, made to look like a geek. How did he look like a geek here? How did he look like a geek here? I, I don't understand. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. I'm like very frustrated by this because you had masterclass work mm. from Okada and you have Kaito doing some of the best work he has ever done. Finally stepping into the role as like on a shoot level, Kaito is finally stepping into the role that everybody has wanted him to step into as the young ace of Noah. He's finally doing it. You're getting it. And now you don't want it. I don't, mm. so, sorry for the screaming. I just, I just literally oh, don't right. understand this. I don't understand this. I think people like to talk before they watch mm. i think people also they just it's a very simple story okada is a wall and kiyomiya can't get over it but he will because he'll keep climbing and he'll fall down and he'll keep trying but i'm telling you as an employee of pro wrestling noah he is the guy for now I am tell I don't know what else I can say without saying it. He is the guy. He will be the guy unless he disappears into thin air. He is the guy. Please don't worry. He, but it's not a it's not a a, a paper a monthly pay per view where you get a, a full story in one week. This is a story that lo- let's look towards next January. I feel like maybe we'll have some more uh, development. On that, again, we have to be patient. This is a patient story. Like Alicia, you brought up that when he, uh, when Kaito is holding Shikamparesu with uh, Rainmaker on it, mm-hmm. that was two years ago. But More if we're patient and and you let that simmer and you let it stew, suddenly it's a really cool part of the story. And the only thing that they had to do was wait. It's like planting a seed. There are so many, I think that's a good part of Japanese pro wrestling. There's so many seeds and some grow, some don't, some die out. But I mean, you have to be patient and people and it's a new, you know, it's a culture now. We're not patient. We want it now. We want it our way. Not everybody's going to be happy. That's totally fine. I was happy. And I like that it was kind of short, even though Kiyomiya was asking for, a uh, long amount of time because it makes him seem like he kind of bit off more than he can chew. He was getting in over his head because he was so angry and he ended up eating a rainmaker a couple and, and he lost and like, but he didn't look like a geek. I think like the I, early on, he would uh, Okada would throw Kiyomi out of the ring and Kiyomi would come right back in and throw an elbow. Like that's and that's total opposite of geek. A geek would not do anything. It, it was a great fighting Kaito. We saw him fight a lot. Yeah, he lost, but that's part of fighting. Losing is really important in Japanese sports culture. You cannot just... And that's what makes Okada special because he didn't... He's Rainmaker Shock. He won before he lost a lot. And then he started to lose a lot and he cried too. And he, I was there at that. He He cried and my wife said to me, so many girls are going to like him now because they're going to get his sympathy. And it's a lot about <laughs> Kaito too. You feel sympathy for him. And he's only 26 too. Oh my God. 
26. He and Master Watto start at the same time. They're very different paths now. And Kaito has gained so much of the Muto DNA. He's got that Misawa-esque, like, photographic, that he could see something and do it, like, perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was a great opening chapter, like a great first episode between these two. I imagine if he's only 26, Okada's like 34, 35. We'll have this for a while. Granted, if they stay healthy and everything, and I think they are, this is the beginning of maybe five years or even 10 years. So I, I was very satisfied with everything in this match from the result to the quality of it, intensity. It's beautiful. Come on, what can I ask for? Like, what else can it be? What else do people want? Would they just, That's... did they want Shiozaki Fujita? Um, 30 no. minutes staring contest? <laughs> what do they want? That would be what fun. Apparently. That would be fun. Uh, don't I wish know. that on us again. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just, I guess that's the the thing that baffles me. And I, I you know, we'll get into this. I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess I'll say it now because we've been talking about it. It's timely. You know, one of the tweets I saw that really frustrated me that leads into the scorekeeping thing is that someone said, you know, besides Muto and New Japan, you know, who really won? at the end of this card who won and it's like i don't know how you are asking that question again to scorekeeping on a card like this but you just watched uh, a card where there is so much story that's been set up across multiple promotions now for the next several years and we're going to get into the main event and the end of that match where you've just seen two two legends retire together when other people never will never get to this moment, they never got to their retirement match, but you got to see two people retire and you're asking who won on this card and you're scorekeeping and you're not excited about what you've just seen. I mean, there's, I think there is a, a general feeling of like, uh, what is it? Uh, apathy or something to, to, to the pro wrestling sort of Twitter verse people covering it right now. It is not really that cool to enjoy wrestling right now. It's not that cool to enjoy wrestling. That's a shame, I think. The catch is, it's not, when they, they're looking at it so superficially, like who won? You know, we won. We got to watch great wrestling That's all it. night. That's the key. It's not about, it's, it's they, the, there are people in the back and they talk and they say, this guy's going to win and this guy's going to lose. You do your thing. That's how it works. There's nothing, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people on Twitter try to be like a cool heel character. It's like your tweets are dirt. Go away like that. Like and coming from somebody who's like, I've been told what's going to happen. And sometimes I try to, you know, I try to eloquently, but but subtly say this is what the deal is. And even still, people will deny me like I'm talking to the person. Why are you denying? It's like uh, Emperor's New Clothes. Like, I don't, I, I can't argue when the the basis of the argument is delusion. Like, it's really, and I can tell you that 30,000 people in Tokyo Dome down there, they did not care about the score at all. It was not on anybody's mind. I think it's just loud speakers, like, you know, phony heel personas online. I just forget it. You know, it's hard because we live in this world now, especially with the pandemic. We're always this is our social socializing now, too. It it, it wears me out and uh, they're just wrong. And you guys are right. Simply. And that's it. <laughs> Black and white. Well, to me. Thank you. 
I, I like <laughs> speaking with advanced thinkers, not the uh, impulsive Twitterers who maybe want to be pro wrestlers or something, or maybe they just really hate their dads. I get a lot of I hate my dad energy from these people. <laughs> oh man. But, You're what, like when I on see them now. <laughs> well, there's a there are a, a segment of people that are obsessed with Dave Meltzer and and hate him and it's really like he's just a guy who writes a lot about wrestling. And what I, the energy is very much like you don't understand it, dad. You don't get it and you don't understand me, dad. It's like that. <laughs> that's the energy that i'm getting from these tweets there's a lot of projection you know they're projecting some other uh something that they saw made them feel a certain way about something in their life and it's coming out in a weird tweet and when i think about it like that i feel more like bad for them and i just say forget it they'll work it out but i understand how people can get upset too at the end of the day, I think that's what it is, is, is just needing to to know that we are here to love wrestling and we're here yeah. to enjoy these moments. And and that's why we started this project. That's why we started Kick Out is because we want people to love wrestling and we want people to think about wrestling and learn the history and not be afraid. Yeah, who spread that pro wrestling love? I'm getting into a clever seg. Don't worry. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, no, it, that's what it is. It's It's about loving the journey. And I know I said this, I said this to you guys that everybody loves long-term storytelling until suddenly they have to wait. But <laughs> now here we are with this incredible long-term storytelling that we are going to have to wait for. And some people don't like it, but we're here to tell you that it is okay to love it. It's okay to spread that press love. And that brings us to the retirement spectacle because there's no other word for it. Oh my god! I felt like riding a horse into the uh, into the Tokyo Dome. The retirement of KG Muto. He he could have ridden. Yeah, I'll keep doing it. You can just talk. I'll do the music. That entrance was something else. I actually almost expected him to come out on a tank. And then when he came on that role, that um, race, it was a last platform. love tank. Yeah, that that last love platform. Alicia mm. was like, that platform should just roll him straight to the ring. Do you remember saying that? Yes, I was concerned about him and his um his knees and such, but naturally he took the ramp at a jog. So you know, Muto. I was worried that the explosion was going to uh, knock him off the stage. <laughs> yeah, he did really well. He seemed startled by it. He was it was so it. loud. <laughs> it was so so. You he don't said. understand it. It was normal sounding on the broadcast, but it was it was a like scary loud. Like it scared me. It was God. like a and actually, if you watched the early show, I don't know if you saw like any of the people talking broadcast or us talking, and you could see like fog in the back. That's because they they were practicing the explosion before the show. That's why it was all foggy. It was so loud then, and it was just as loud the second time. And I'm I'm happy that uh, Muto didn't just explode into the sky. He was startled, <laughs> but he made it. Oh, that would have been sad, huh? He would have been exploded <laughs> by one of the uh, pyro. Talk about last love, final love. Anyway, uh, but yeah, this this match was, and he did well. He did amazing. I thought he did really, really well during this match, and and you could tell that he was really um, saving himself 
um, throughout this match because it was long. It was quite long. Um, it didn't feel terribly long while I was watching it live, but when I watched it back, it definitely, it. I wouldn't say it dragged, but it definitely felt its length and it's almost about 30 minutes, I believe. Um, but yeah, yeah 28 I thought, minutes. Yeah, thereabouts. I thought this match was good. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm talking about Muto and Naito. We'll talk about the second match in a moment. But, mm. um, but Muto and Naito and um, Naito, I thought, did an amazing job. He really kept that pace. Um, he really, really controlled everything that was going on. Like, it, I, I thought um, you could really probably feel how um, Naito felt even under all of the heel work he was really, really putting in there. Um, I know, Alicia, you had a note about that one, about Naito during the entrance. Yeah, Naito, I didn't catch it during the live feed. I think I was overwhelmed by that point because everything was so intense. And I was like really blown away by how loud everyone was in the Tokyo Dome cheering for Muto as he made his way down the ramp, which I thought was incredible. I think about the way people cheered for Kobashi a lot at Final Burning. This was somehow louder than that. It just was so incredible, even like hearing it through um, the feed, obviously. But what I didn't catch in the in the live feed is that Naito isn't looking at Muto coming down the ramp. Naito was actually turned away and he's in the corner and he's tapping on the second rope and he's watching his finger tap on the rope. I love um, that shot. Which it's a beautiful shot and it's so childlike. And you know that if he turns and he watches Muto come down the ramp, he will break and you won't have uh, Naito Tetsuya, the character, you will have Naito Tetsuya, the man. Um, and that's, I think, what he probably struggled with uh, pretty much the entire time up through the cover. Um, the cover is where you really start to see him kind of come undone. And there's like this real like childlike sense of just like wonder and I think amazement at this moment. And you could tell that this meant everything in the world to him to be in the ring at this time with his childhood hero. He had had a match with Muto that he didn't win before. And then to be the one that retired Muto, like Naito's incredible because with everything he's gone through and um, being, I think, um, arguably like the guy, like I know like Okada is the ace, but like Naito's the guy in Japan. And if you're going to talk about like a wrestler with like a lot of power and um, the merch he sells and people know who Naito is for the most part, at least in wrestling Mr. Main spaces. Event. Mr. Main Event. However, these things are like, they don't really design things for Naito, even within his own company. <laughs> like, like nothing really goes that man's way. However, this was a perfect moment designed for Tetsuya Naito. And it was so deserved. And he's talked about like, you know, his experiences of, of going to wrestling as a kid with his father and how Muto um, made him want to be a wrestler. He wanted to be Muto. And that is like those stories alone, I think, are just so powerful. They're 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 just beautiful and they're so unique to this sport, um, or whatever you want to call wrestling, but it's unique to the art form of wrestling. And I thought it was I thought it was really beautiful, at least his part of it there. And I and I want to talk very briefly about this build too, which I thought was the most Keiji Muto thing in the world. <sighs> he played up like his very real and serious injuries, but in the most like Keiji Muto way possible because he like very purposefully had himself photographed in the wheelchair with Kaito pushing him with his hand out saying, please don't photograph me. Don't put this in the paper. But they put it in the paper. That is the most Keiji Muto thing in the world. And what did everybody do? Everybody flipped out because then it became Muto's not going to make it to his main event. And like, what? a worker straight through to the end right like of course he was going to be fine <laughs> yeah he, he was, was going to be fine he was going to make it there um 
on like bionic legs if he had to do it right like he was gonna do it and i think that that is on bionic legs right now yeah basically. on like on like the most robotic legs possible he would have gotten in there but he's <laughs> he's amazing in that way and uh, he's just such a genius but like i want to get into the the moonsault thing with you guys and talk about that yes. as a group because i thought that that was one of the more brilliant parts of the match but not for what everybody on twitter was complaining about so what I thought was brilliant about the moonsault stuff is that he didn't do one. And that's like sort of almost uncharacteristically Muto. The, the moonsault was really important in Noah during his like the last couple of years that he's been with, with uh, Noah. And he didn't do it here. And before he would, uh, you know, he would set it up and he would go for the attempt and he would look up into the rafters and look like he was talking. And you have to imagine that in these moments, he's just talking to Misawa and Hashimoto. And he ends up, I think, not doing these moonsaults because he's embracing the miracle of making to making it to this retirement match at all. And he knows that if he does the moonsault, maybe he beats Naito, but he does it at the expense of himself and isn't the miracle that he's made it here at all and that he gets to carry his friends with him. And then we didn't even get to the part with Chono yet, who's literally sobbing on, on Japanese commentary as all of this is happening. Um, and I thought that was like the most, like, I couldn't have predicted that that he would do this. And I, I thought that was just extraordinary. And um, there's never going to be anything like that. It's it's like the most cagey Muto thing that ever could have happened in the way that he, like, you know, incorporated, like, his feelings about Hashimoto and, and uh, Misawa into the match. I thought was just, like, the most beautiful, extraordinary thing. I, I couldn't have predicted it, but it played beautifully into the match. Um, and it gave Naito that still the opportunity to win, but I don't think it takes away from Naito, you know, beating him. I don't think it makes it look like he would have won if he just got the moonsault off either. I just think it was this really beautiful way of him embracing his mortality finally and just kind of going quietly into the night, embracing the miracle that he had just made it to the finish. Yeah. I, and it's part of the on. story too. It's like uh, what Tanahashi told him not to do it in October. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, it had to be Tanahashi who told them that because only <laughs> Tanahashi would say that. But also, if you saw there's on the on the YouTube, we did a translation of his post-match comments. And he said, when I got up to the ropes, I thought of my wife's face, my doctor's face, and they were really mm -hmm. angry. So I didn't do it. So exactly. And you know what? There's if you go back and watch, there's a really uh, very subtle, very cool little thing Misawa did. Uh, excuse me, uh, Misawa. Um Muto did when he did the Emerald Frillusion when he did it at ringside I don't know if they I have I gotta watch it again but Marufuji's sitting like you know uh, elementary school photo like watching Sugiura's next to him and he gave them like a is this okay can I do it and he did Emerald Frozen he did I it for them I see him nod to them it was oh, very wow. very very subtle because I don't think it they, those guys were on camera but I was actually talking with Fumi Saito about that last night he mm. gave him a little wow. look and then he did it. So I'll have to go back and try to catch that again because I didn't see it. He's That's the king amazing. of little, little subtle nuances. I, I recommend anybody watch a Keiji Muto match like that with the sound off and just watch his movement. It doesn't seem like he's doing much, but he's actually doing quite a lot. But it, it demands a lot more of a fan, if, especially if you're into like, if your thing is DDT, it like Muto might come off as a little bit like slow paced and it's just different but i appreciate it's like it's like a difference between like heavy metal and classical music you know it's just different feeling 
and different vibe and a different approach to listening or watching. I thought this was a really masterful, masterful match. And Naito, just he's having a good year. I loved his match with Kano too a lot, and uh, I think he's just he can do what he he goes in there. He does what he needs to do. It was beautiful, beautiful story. Well, it was what I thought it would be. That's perfect, Lou. What were your thoughts? I know, uh, yeah, especially on the moonsault. I'd like to hear those too because I know Alicia sort of opened the floor on that one. That I think that was the best part of the match, the, at least the most emotional part of the match. Uh, and it, it was a match with a lot of emotion. Um, I was really glad to see Naito work as a straight-up heel. I think that heel Naito is the best version of Naito, and uh, that match showed exactly why. For, uh, like, as, just, as Justin said, um, these long Keiji Muto matches can be slow at times, and I think Naito was instrumental here in sort of bringing out the drama out of all of these slower moments. Like every time they went in the figure four leg lock, like Naito was like selling like crazy or spitting on Muto mm -hmm. and just making a big spectacle out of everything, which was really cool. I couldn't help compare the match to the great Muta retirement match with Shinsuke which was a bit shorter and more, uh, I guess, spectacle-driven. Mm. And mm. Uh, I might have preferred that slightly, but uh, this one still worked really well. And um, yeah, I'm, I guess we're going to talk about the post-match, which was a, a whole different thing. But uh, yeah, enjoyable stuff. Yeah, let's talk about the post-match right now. I mean, why not? We uh, That does bring us perfectly to the end of the first match. So uh it brings us into one of the most incredible moments of the show and most incredible moments in wrestling. And I think Alicia, you said it perfectly where um, if you, if you don't feel something in this moment, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not sure what to tell you because uh, you have Muto sort of with this surprise declaration um, and this challenge to Chono who was crying behind his sunglasses, basically the entire match. And, and you got also cuts of Tanahashi crying as well. Like the whole, anytime the action slowed down and it cut to anybody ringside, they were all just crying. And, and that really just painted this beautiful picture of the match. But you have this whole narrative of Chono watching as well. And you really get this feeling of Chono is watching the retirement match that he will not get. But then you have this post-match where Muto gets up there and he gives Chono that retirement match. And it's it's almost like a surprise proposal on YouTube almost. Like you have him <laughs> hitting the hitting Chono's music and you have him bringing out Tiger Hattori. And then Chono is um, slack jawed like, oh my gosh. And uh, comes up, takes off the sunglasses. You have this incredible, what, one minute and 26 seconds long thereabouts match. And you get to see the STF. For the for, as done by Chono for the first time in forever, and it's it's incredible. It's it's just a awe inspiring moment, and I need to know everybody's takes on it. Let's just start from the top of my screen, Alicia. What did you think? <laughs> I thought it was beautiful. I, I thought it was again. It speaks to this entire card being such a love letter to professional wrestling, and where could you ever get a moment like this? But this type of card. Um, 
it's it was extraordinary. It really was. I don't know that we, you know when we'd ever see another type of moment like this. And again, speaks to you know Misawa Hashimoto. There's there's others like they never got to have moments like this. Their families never got to be around to see them have these types of moments. And Muto in his final in ring moments brought his longtime colleague, friend, rival, whatever, into the ring with him and gave him a beautiful send off with him and uh, it's extraordinary like I I I don't necessarily have even all of the words for it it's just a a beautiful beautiful moment I'm glad that we got to see something like that it was really incredible too when they um they cut to Riki Choshu and Tatsumi Fujinami sitting there like right next to each other watching and laughing um when (laughs) really soaking it up yeah like really like soaking it up as those two were like in the ring together and like what a scene to have those two watching the other two in the ring in their final moments um, in, a, in a wrestling ring like that together. It was, it was just a, a beautiful moment. And again, like I, I don't know how you could be worried about keeping score when you got to, to witness that. And when, you know, these people are, are very real people who had these tremendous careers. They gave their lives to this. This is a tough career. This has brutalized their bodies. Like it's a miracle that they got here. I think it's extraordinary that we got to see this. I don't think many people know this, but uh, Hisai Muto, the wife of Keiji Muto, was actually Chono's uh, good junior high school friend from Tokyo. So they're not only, I mean, it's a very deep relationship, like even to their families. Mm. Um, It was like a gift. It was a huge gift uh, from Muto to, to Chono. I mean, if... If Chono cries, we can all cry. We can all cry. It's okay. Um, it was, and I, I know that no one aside from a few people at ringside, there was somebody on the on the right of Chono. His name, he's one of my bosses, Mr. Kitano, Yuji Kitano. He's ahead of Abima Fight. He was in on it. Takeda Booker was in on it. A G-Man had to know because he was going to make the call, but no one knew what the hell was going on. We thought he was going to come in, they take a bow, and it was going to be a nice little send-off, but he said, Tono, Oreto, Takai, fight me, come on. And he came in and cried, But and this speaks to Tono's uh, charisma too. All he had to do is take his sunglasses off, and the crowd went, oh. So, yeah, I, and that was definitely a special moment for that place. Like, I can't believe I was there, not let alone talking about it, like uh, calling it, but just to be there was, I don't know. Nothing was ever like that. It was, a, it was really like a, a, a gift for pro wrestling. And the, and the final image with Hashimoto and Misawa and Muto, come on. This is, if, if uh, the other match was seven stars, this was f- 77 stars. This is my match <laughs> of the year, hands down. I, I'm locking it in now. Actually, I mean, this is my goal today. I'm going to try to find the Shukan Proresu with uh, the STF uh, cover that is just released yeah. today. It might sell out. I'm going to, after this, I'm going to journey out. Maybe Jimbocho, some of the bookstores have it. Wish me luck. Yeah, yeah good, good luck. luck. <laughs> I know. I can't get a damn fast. order in for it. <laughs> I know. I, I think people are ordering it by like in twos, you know, one for their <laughs> oh, collection yeah. and one to read. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was amazing. What the heck? The the one thing that blew my mind here is that 
KG Muto, like for his entire career, he's been an expert at getting himself over and reminding everyone of how great he is throughout the years. And for his retirement match, he decided to make it about someone else, about his good friend Chono. That really took me off guard. And that scene of once he taps to the STF and Chono is sort of hanging over him, smiling, that's going to stay with me forever. Just a beautiful picture. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's this is what wrestling's all about. Perfect. You need patience for a, for something like that to happen right. too. If you right. if you follow it and you're, I mean, it's funny. Chono is in the press these days saying, "I was framed. I didn't know about this." And he said when he saw President Takeda, like, there was a, a press conference last summer when he, he said he was going to come and do commentary. That's kind of when apparently this was planned, uh, and he says that anytime I saw Takeda he would always look down and kind of look away or give me a short answer. And now I know why. So yeah, no one expected this. It was a great, yeah, it was a bonus. A great surprise. There was a moment where Chono and Mudo were talking and Mudo said, like, if I'm retiring, that means you have to retire too. Mm. And Chono was sort of joking about like, oh, you know, I'm not getting a retirement match. And, you know, I, I thought that was cute at the time, but it's it's interesting now that you've said it, that that's sort of been cooking for a while. So that's something to sort of look back and, and think about. And exactly. I was I might I might do it myself. It might be cool to go back and find that video on YouTube and see if there were any, you know, hints or Easter eggs or anything that maybe, you know, Muto talks in a way where he doesn't lie, but he can also mask what he's saying without telling a straight lie and maybe some double double talk double play uh yeah it was all part of the plan apparently i hope that this got toshiaki kawada thinking about something i don't think that he would enjoy a show but you know he just had a whole thing with tai chi and tai chi has been asking for a match and i don't know i just hope that these this this thing that just happened with Chono and, and Muto, I hope that that maybe gets him thinking about potentially doing something small, so a good little send off in some ways. And I think Tai Chi yeah. would really appreciate that too. I don't with, with Taue and Kawara. I don't. They're and Kobashi. They all have their own office, like they're independent of all the promotions. So it's really more up to them, up to them, and whatever politics uh, they might still have with. Certain, I know not everything is smooth and perfect with those guys and between all the other companies. So I don't think there's anything in particular. I think it could happen, but I think uh, someone would really have to sponsor it like Tai Chi or new Japan for someone like Kawada. Uh, Those guys. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different with those, those fellas. They, that like Muto, they're kind of like a wild card. They can really do whatever they want to do. It just has to be uh, the politics has to be smooth. But uh, I would love something like that for both Taue and Kawada too. Yeah, and I I agree, and I think it I think it could happen. I think um, 2023 for wrestling is shaping up, and uh, thanks to this show, I think it's shaping up in a lot of incredible ways. We've gotten uh, a whole lot of things to look forward to, and 
hang on to. And that sort of brings us to the end of the episode. So thank you, um, everyone listening for joining us. And especially thank you, Lou. Thank you, Justin, for um, joining us and talking about this special and just really spectacular show. Please, one more time, just remind our listeners where they can find you. Um, Justin, if you could just go ahead first. On Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. And uh, yeah, I'm there uh, avoiding stupid tweets and retweeting cool stuff and (laughs) chatting with these folks, these fine folks and sharing funny pictures of Yuma Aoyagi. (laughs) There are plenty. There are plenty. He's so photogenic. (laughs) There was a whole hashtag dedicated to it. Uh, Lou, if you could go ahead. Sure. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Captain Lou Japan and you can read my reviews. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You can read my reviews on appywrestlingland.com. Thanks again so much for inviting me. I hope people listen to this and use this as a companion piece to like they can watch the show and and use this and listen to us chat about it, too, because this is what what everybody after the show, all the fans were doing. All the fans, they flooded all the restaurants to have good food, have a drink and talk about everything just like we're doing now. So I like that style. And I hope other people listen. They do it, too. It's oh, That's yeah. what it's about. It's about watching yeah. and then chat. Oh, this was awesome. I didn't like this. And I like this. And I want to go to this next. And you do it again. Marathon without an end. That's right. And uh, you can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. Alicia, if you could go ahead and tell people where they can find you and where they can find the project. You can find me at Sharanui Kai with two eyes, and you can find us at Kickout299 on Twitter as well. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. And remember that wrestling is, as Justin said, as Muto said, a marathon without an end. It's just a rare and incredible special journey made of endings, beginnings, and reunions.